This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target but not fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man, man. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be And welcome back to the great episode of the one and only Place to Be Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rosero, coming to you live here on this Monday evening inside the BTVN studios. Joining me, as always, is my PIC, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? Good evening, JR. Hello, PTB Wrestling Network loyalists. Welcome to episode 608. 608 of the longest running episodic with a fucking gold uh, Yeah, we are in the throes of uh, the steamy August, uh, JR. Got to mm. see you this past weekend. It was nice. Very nice to see you. Yeah. And uh, uh, twice in uh, twice in about a month. So it's twice in a month. It's very nice. Kicking it, it was old a school. time where that was a that was routine. I know, <laughs> right? Uh, but we had some nice guests. We had a good time. I enjoyed seeing everybody again this summer. Yes, yes. St. Mary's was uh, not as steamy. I felt like I want to talk about this for a minute because we always talk about St. Mary's being an, a, a sauna. But I feel like this year was not as bad. I feel like we lucked out a little bit on that Saturday in terms of uh, heat and humidity. No? I mean, I feel like we've had hotter ones. I feel like we lucked out this year for that day anyway. Yeah, I would say there was a few years ago it was like – a few years ago it was super – that one we had was like absurdly hot. It was like just being in a boiler. But this – no, this year wasn't as bad. I don't know. I can't tell if I'm all screwed up because I went to Disney around 4th of July – Right. And that was like, I mean, like 110 degrees every day walking in the sun. And I feel like since then, my body, it's like someone who moves to Florida and like for 15 years, the blood, I feel like over that week, my blood adjusted. And now like nothing actually feels like that hot because I, right. I, I walked like, you know, 20,000 plus steps a day in that ridiculous heat around Disney. And like, I'm like, after that, nothing, nothing feels warm anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, glad everybody's here. Welcome. Uh, yeah, why don't you bring in the, uh, the third member of our team and, uh, we will get cracking. Yes. And, uh, we are very excited to have this guy back cause it's been a long road for him. Mm-hmm. He's been battling, um, some medical issues, of course, over the past year, we've been talking about a little bit and uh, we are so excited that we've had this one on the calendar. He is the host of the Sportscasters podcast, co-host of the Adams division still co-host of the 24 inch podcast as well. And that is our good friend here and here often. That is Mr. Steve Bennett. Steve, how are you? Hey now, hey, what's up, guys? How are you? It's good to be back. It feels great to be here. I'm doing much better. It's been a long eight months, but it's nothing I couldn't handle. 
and uh, fought it off. Another victory for the good guys, and uh, good to be back here talking my favorite thing ever, wrestling in 2008. <laughs> I'm, trying to think, I'm trying to think back, Steve, when you guys last, uh, when we had a last Adams division. <laughs> Nobody yes. says it. I'm curious so how long it's we, been. We have one planned, and we have all the, re- everything's done. Just Peter, Peter got into this funk with podcasting, which resulted in the end of the greetings from Allentown, you know, non-live version. And now it's, right. and I think uh, mm-hmm. Keithy kind of rejuvenated him with uh, greetings from Allentown live. And I think he's getting there. I'm always open to doing it. Like I said, we have a Hogan Savage one that hopefully we'll do soon. I, it's not something like that's never died. We could do it anytime we want to do it. You know what I mean? It was always meant to be couple times a year almost like a Saturday night's main event a podcast you know you do it a few weekends a year or whatever so I am very hopeful that we will do one shortly and the 24 inch podcast uh should be back soon I just want to say real quick to my good friend Dave Rollins had the horrific um experience of having to put his dog to sleep the great Ruby yeah so rest in peace to Ruby uh who's up there with Uncle Tito now I know it and uh, as soon as he's better and uh, he also had to move jobs, uh, locations, and once he gets settled, probably closer to the fall, uh, the 24-inch podcast will uh, resume as well. Um, and uh, the Sportscasters has been back. I've done two so far. I got a third one uh, with Joe Buck and Jeff Pass and Cooking. I should put it up tonight when we're done here. And, um, yeah, I feel like I'm back in the groove. You don't – sometimes this can be frustrating. You get – it gets uh, – you know, when you're doing podcasting, you're doing all the shows that we do, being on shows, whatever you get in a rut don't do it at all for eight months because you can't and you realize how much you really do love it at least that was my mm-hmm. experience i agree 100 so i'm glad to be doing it again and one of the things i love to do most is to be on the show with you guys so thanks for having me uh, well we know you love it because we're getting you to talk about 2008 during right. WWE. <laughs> exactly it for three painful hours earlier today for sure so. uh, but uh, <laughs> so anyway you can come. You can uh, right here on the on the feed. Uh, you can go to the archive, and uh, the last Adams Division podcast was actually almost two years ago. Yeah. Uh, during the pandemic, August twenty seventh, twenty twenty, you guys did a uh, SummerSlam eighty eight to ninety eight Dream yeah, Car Thought exercise. So check that out. So uh, check it here on the feed, place to be and check out the Adams Division podcast archive, and you can check out all the episodes that uh, Steve and uh, Pete did. So We're it's good to have you back, Steve. Thank you. All right, let's get into our show tonight. We're going to be talking One Night Stand 2008 in a little bit, but first we're going to throw it back, as we usually do in the first half of the show now. We go back in time to 1994. We're going to start with our classic house show report. Scott, what have we got going on this week in 94 in the world of wrestling? All right, well, uh, WCW uh, was off, or there's no show uh, documented on uh, the history of WWE.com. uh, so WCW was off. WWE, however, on and of course this was my 21st birthday on this day, June 1st, 1994. That sounds um, like a disaster. It does. It was. I thought you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was. I was gonna do a 40 and slip ago. June 1st, 1794. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking all the. So you meat. gotta say then. Yeah, I know. Say I, know then. I know. I know. Uh, we, it's because those jokes probably. I think you run out of them. Anyway. Um, it has been a lot of episodes. It has been a lot of. Episodes. <laughs> June 1st, 1994. Uh, now this is weird because, you know, usually WWF after WrestleMania usually does the Europe tour, but here we are in early June or a couple weeks away from, uh, the, uh, King of the Ring, which would be in Baltimore. 
this show, they are at the Sport Hall in Castle, Germany. Uh, so speaking of drinking, uh, drinking mead and other things. Uh, so that's where they are. Uh, here's your card. Uh, the one, two, three kid defeated Sparky Plug. Uh, the Bushwhackers defeated Quang and Adam Bomb. Uh, Tonka defeated IRS. Yokozuna defeated Mabel. Jesus, keep that ring uh, reinforced. Uh, your world tag team champions, the Head Shrinkers, defeated the Quebecers. And your World Wrestling Federation champion, the Hitman Bret Hart, defeated his little brother, Oon. That was the main event. So uh, I'm just thinking, guys, and we'll document this more, JR, as we get through the summer. I feel like almost every house show between now, between like after Mania into the fall, is Bret and Owen. I mean, you may, may say what you want about the product as a whole in 1994, but if every house show had a Bret Owen main event, I take it. So I think they um, do up until the fall when they start proxying Anvil in there and he starts getting the run with Brett. But yeah, I think, I think post mania to at least SummerSlam um, is Brett Owen, like all around the circuit for sure. So, yeah. So, uh, so that's it. That's the one house show on this date, June 1st, 1994. Uh, the WWF was in castle Germany and uh, WCW was off. So JR, why don't we continue on and fire up a little herb? All right, <clears throat> let's do it. We got three uh, herbs for you, Steve. So welcome back. Some nice Coons tidbits. All right. May 27th, 1994. Slamboree took place on Sunday. Presumably marked the return of Barry Windham and Terry Funk to the organization. Funk established his relationship with Bunkhouse Buck, with the explanation being that Funk hates the Rhodes family. As I first reported last week, Funk did sign a contract with WCW. The extent of that contract is not yet clear, but he did work TV for the group. His preview appearance seemed to indicate that he was not in any way abandoning ECW. Really, how many nights a month is he even used by that group? And that he has some control over his role. Bayview also marked the exit of Rick Rude and the Nasty Boys. Rude did not even appear on the show. While many reasons are being used to explain his falling out of the company, the truth is it's a combination of things that have happened over time. The Nasty Boys need time off for Jerry Sachs to recover from his shoulder. Injury aggravated at the show. It seemed as though they booked a special spot where Sachs took a shot from the hockey stick out of shoulder to put the injury into the storyline. As a result of these problems, the unlikely team of Kevin Sullivan and Cactus Jack came out of the show with the WCW tag team titles, and Sting won the international world title. I also first reported this last week that Kurt Hennig had signed a deal with WCW. This was surprising because everyone had been reporting Kurt was locked into his WWF contract until later in the year. It's highly likely WWF would let him out of the contract to work for their chief rival. Perhaps the disagreement that led to Kurt being dropped for the storylines also led to him being fired, which could mean he was free to do as he pleases. If he quit, WWF would have to lock him up. Anyhow, there's already talk that Hennig will work Ric Flair at the Clash of Champions in August. In addition, a taped interview with Sherry Martell was talked about looking for a perfect man, leading everyone to believe the new edition of Hennig has been made WCW abandoning the pairing of Sherry and Ron Simmons. There is talk that Cactus Jack and Sullivan will only be champions for a short run, basically due to necessity because of Sags' injury. Melser reports to suspect that Paul Orndorff and Paul Romo win the tag titles quickly and move to a program against Bagwell and Patriot, a newly formed team billed as Stars and Stripes. King of the Ring on June 19th from Baltimore, tentative lineup. Bret Hart versus Diesel, IC title, will not be on the line, just the world title. Piper versus Lawler, Head Shrinkers versus Yokozuna and Crush for the tag team titles. And the eight-man single elimination tournament looks like this. IRS taking on Mabel, Razor Moan versus Bam Bam Bigelow, Jeff Jarrett versus 123Kid, and Tatanka versus Owen Hart. It's expected after the King of the Ring pay-per-view that the Heavenly Bodies will get a big push in the tag team division. As I report on the net, Brian Lee is leaving Smoky Mountain Wrestling later in the year for the DF, where he'll be rumored to be the more evil half of an Undertaker team. <laughs> WCW Clash of Champions on TBS. 
June 23rd, 94, starts at 8.05, Austin versus Johnny Bad and Hulk Hogan's first appearance, and Great American Bash from Florida on July 17th. So that's it for that edition, Steve. Any uh, Anything jump out at you there? Oh, it's nice to hear Kurt Henning's name, one of my favorites of all time. Um, love to watch that guy bump. I just like to hear Herb's ramblings. Uh, they're almost poetic, and uh, mm-hmm. it's nice to hear them again. So let's let's keep going. I want to hear more Herb. Okay, Scott, even there you want to call out for us? Uh, the more evil, <laughs> the more evil Undertaker. You mean the, oh, God. the more the more non Undertaker? <laughs> I love how like he's so close sometimes to things, but so far away. <laughs> like I like know. he's right there with it, right? But he's put them in a tag team. So exactly. So uh, all right, June second, nineteen ninety four. As already reported, two charges were dropped in the federal case against Vince McMahon. Prior to this, there were five charges in totals, but the courts were convinced that only three of the charges were distinct, deciding the two against Vince and Titan were duplicates. Meltzer reported that Rick Root is a slambery in Philadelphia, but claimed an injury and also grandstanded, saying he would not do any jobs for Hogan, Flair or Vader. The decision to go with Sting versus Vader to decide the international title has already been made, was already made. But the decision to go with the board of directors stripping Root was not made until Root balked at the storyline to explain the match change. Really, Root has not been a good worker for a while because of all the injuries. So canning him will hopefully improve the work on top and send a message to the other egos on the roster. Herb is ruthless. Austin worked the W. Steve Austin worked the WCW Orlando tapings without Colonel Rob Parker in his corner. Seems to be building to a feud with Ricky Steamboat for the U.S. title. Earthquake mm-hmm. has already quit the WF, pissed off about how he's being used. Mm-hmm. The WF ran an ad this past weekend on the Cindy's plugging the induction of several names to the Hall of Fame. Right now, it only features Andre the Giant. The ad listed Chief J. Strongbow, Freddie Blassie, Gorilla Monsoon, James Dudley, Arnold Scotland, Bobo Brazil, and Buddy Rogers as new inductees. Hard to believe the Hulk Hogan and Bruno San Martino aren't in there. Oh, wait, that's not hard to believe at all. Melser joked about James Dudley, who was Vince McMahon Sr.'s limo chauffeur. Even back then, poor Dudley, catching the strays. Hmm. Everyone seems confused about when Kurt Hennig will appear for WCW. There was talk of him working the 717 pay-per-view or having him work against Flair at the August Clash, but all that hinges on how he left the WF. If he quit, they'll have to get a release to work before October, and that seems doubtful. Kurt was backstage at Slamboree, but they didn't risk having him appear on camera. King of the Ring on June 19th. It is the same card we talked about in our last installment. Obviously, the intention is for Owen Hart to carry the tournament and perhaps have a show stealer in the second round. But Owen has a bum knee and can't get the time to recover thanks to headlining the Revenge Tour, which explains all those two-star Brett versus Owen matches on the house shows. One wonders how he'll be for this show. Diesel also has a bum knee right now, although there's really no ability to affect in in his case. <laughs> Asshole. It's difficult to believe that Alexa Luger won't be on this pay-per-view. The Roddy Piper Jerry Lawler storyline is expected to carry things. This coming week, Lawler interviews a kid who he calls Roddy Piper, who does an imitation of the hot rod, and then Amanda Ultimate Warrior runs out of the crowd and destroys the Piper imitation before Dink breaks it up. All right, scratch that last sentence. Okay. Speaking of Piper's movie Back to Action opens tomorrow. It stars Piper and B movie action star Billy Blanks. The ad reads one cop, one vigilante, and alone they're unstoppable. Together they're invincible. It's expected that DBRC's current Undertaker, actually Brian Lee, not Mark Calloway, will appear at the pay-per-view, leading to the return of the original Undertaker in a few months. Art Donovan, a former Baltimore co- is, uh, Colt, is expected to appear at this show. Oh, he sure is. He sure is. Sir. <laughs> uh, <laughs> June 23rd, Clash, Austin versus Johnny B. Bad, and rumor is Nasty Boys versus Sullivan and Cactus in a gang fight match. Hulk Hogan is also expected to appear in the arena. Saturday night on 7994 will be broadcast live, and the Bash 717 from Florida. Any thoughts there before we get to our final installment? Yeah, give me some of that Steamboat Austin. That sounds good. Also, it's interesting that they, he brings up a, uh, a football cameo, as we have one on our show tonight as well. 
And, um, hmm, Dink. Glad Dink was around. Good old Dink. And Doink. And Dunk. Great little guys. Anything <laughs> from you, Scott? Uh... I, I like the fact that he said two star Owen Brett matches, you know, two star Owen Brett matches are probably not two star matches of anybody else. So let's, <laughs> right, let's, right. Pu- let's, let's pump the brakes, Herb. Okay. Um, <laughs> two star Owen Brett matches. Yeah. Two star Owen Brett is like zero star. Anybody else? Um, yeah. I mean, he seemed to have his pulse a little bit on everything. Um, I don't know if Hogan, sh- Hogan doesn't show up at that, at that clash. Right. He probably doesn't. He, he pretty much doesn't hit camera until, um, until no. He's Saturday night is his debut, is it? Is it? Well, he has the parade. Um, right. No, yeah, I don't think he's at that clash. No, I, I think that I'm pretty it, sure end up being um Flair Sting. That yeah. clash. Yeah. For the, when Flair they the belts. starts turning heel. Yeah. Yeah, and I I don't think I don't really don't think Hogan hits camera till Bash at the Beach. As far as I know. Right. Well, I know he's definitely they do the parade, and I thought he was on Saturday night before bash at the beach but maybe not mm. anyway uh yeah he's he's yeah, he's got a pulse on stuff so far i know i mean it's been like probably eight years since we did our <laughs> 1994 deep dive <laughs> yeah that's, that's true that is true so. uh all right let's continue on our final installment of the herb notes june 10th 1994 wcw ran a crawler on saturday night this weekend to announce that five-time champion hulk hogan had signed with them they ran the crawler several times ran an interview with rick flair shortly after flair's pretended the signing was a non-issue on saturday night they'll have a live press conference at the signing there you go with hogan coming in everyone's talking about the money that wcw had to promise and how the deal isn't worth it some people are reporting the projected value is four million dollars Meltzer reports that WCW has to get the same buy rate they've been getting just to break even. I'll tell you what, it may not it seem like it was worth it, it the first it year, was worth it. by the end, they are definitely worth it for them. Bret Hart announced he'd have a family member in his corner at King of the Ring against Diesel on Father's Day. The announcers on every show have been playing what if with this, which leads people to think any of the candidates being mentioned will be a, not going to be the corner person. David Boy Smith has been talked about. Most are expecting the choice to be Jim Neidhart, even though the brother-in-law relationship has not really been acknowledged in the WWF. Ted DiBiase has promised a return of The Undertaker on TV this weekend. Brian Lee worked tapings using The Undertaker gimmick managed by DiBiase. It's said everywhere it's hard not to notice it, it, that it's hard to notice the difference until he whips the hair out of his face for a second. This will obviously lead to the return of the real Undertaker. The talk that the match will then lead to the Undertaker's tag team. Give it up, Herb. It's not going to happen. <laughs> talk of Dusty Rhodes coming out of retirement to work a pay-per-view has disappeared. It looks like Arn Anderson will be moved into the slot as Dusty Rhodes' tag team partner. Arn announced that he was making Dustin an honorary horseman. They'll be working the Clash and pay-per-view as a team. Friday, two weeks ago, was the 10th anniversary of Vince McMahon Sr.'s death. The large hole created by Earthquake leaving WF has immediately been filled by the once-again-signed Typhoon. It's hard to believe the Earthquake versus Yokozuna matches could be replaced by someone worse. Earthquake dropping out of, seems to be dropping out of wrestling altogether. It looks like WCW is going to build a three-way feud between Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan, the Nasty Boys, and Paul Roma and Paul Larndorff. There was an indie show in Toronto last week featuring such long unheard of wrestlers as the Missing Link and Angelo Mosca Jr., who had to make the short drives in from Burlington and Hamilton, respectively. King of the Ring, uh, same card. It's pretty much been set in stone. No word on Owen Hart's knee or Diesel's knee. Art Donovan, the former Baltimore Colt, will be expected to appear on the show. Clash of Champions, June 23rd. Flair versus Sting to unify the world titles. Nasty Boys versus Kevin Sullivan and Cactus Jack in a gang fight match. Austin versus Johnny B. Bad for the U.S. title. Larry Zabisco versus Steve Regal for the TV title. Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck versus Dustin Rhodes and Arn Anderson. And Hulk Hogan's first WCW in arena appearance. 
Saturday night will be live on July 9th. Great American Bash on July 17th, rumored to be Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan, Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan versus Orndorff and Roma, Steve Austin versus Ricky Steamboat for the U.S. title, Vader versus Guardian Angel, and Funk and Bunkhouse Buck versus Dustin Rose and Arn Anderson. Any final thoughts there? The only thing I want to mention there is it's interesting to hear him mention Missing Link because Paula and I recently went on eBay and bought the Sports Illustrated with Hogan on the cover. And Missing Link is oddly a, like a big feature of that article. And um, the interesting thing about it, if anyone ever gets a chance to go back and read it, man, did they pick an asshole to write that column? I mean, the guy hates wrestling. Everything's mocking it. It's it's brutal. And they get Hulk on the cover, and they don't talk about him. It's a really odd feature. I'd love to talk to that writer about like why he took it if he hated wrestling so much and like why he thought that focusing on the missing link would be such an interesting part of it. But I just read that. So it was interesting to hear his name hmm. post 1985. Yeah. Hmm. Cause most, uh, most like mainliners that didn't like wrestling were fucking dicks anyway. So I think they probably did it on purpose. And he made a, he made a point to be a dick. You know what I mean? Yeah, like every, exactly. Even, I mean, my daughter is six years old. She noticed it right away. You know what I mean? She's like, what's wrong with this guy? He doesn't like wrestling. Why would he write about it? I was like, I don't know, bitch. It's always the case. I remember here after Owen Hart died, um, <clears throat> one of the local curmudgeons in the Providence Journal like made a joke about it in his little column. And I actually I remember writing in, uh, and my cousin was the cartoonist, and he got it ran in the editorial section for me, like ripping the guy shitting on Owen, like you know, using Owen dying as like a platform to shit on wrestling. I called him out, and I probably right. have it somewhere, but like, I was the, like Phil hmm. Mush, the Phil Mushnick of uh, Rhode Island. Oh, oh yeah, he's, yeah, I think he just retired. This guy too. He's yeah, the, the usual old curmudgeon uh, that hangs around the paper forever. Uh, but we were, we were excited to get that, you know, like oh Hogan's on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and it's always when people talk about it, it's always like oh it's so cool, you know, wrestling broke through to the mainstream, and other than a few nice things he says about. Cindy Lauper, basically, and the rock and wrestling connection. It's just a total hit piece, total shit on it all the way through kind of a thing. But Ugh, Mushnick, what a dick. Yeah. He's another one. He's another jack off that needs to retire. He still writes for the Post. Yeah, I, I, I read his latest column today. What was he what was he bitching about? Uh, I don't know. 30 different oh, things. Hopefully, you know, thing is hopefully ESPN still sucking at baseball. He doesn't. I don't I don't always disagree. Usually when he trashes ESPN's terrible coverage of life. But um but, uh, yeah, most of the time he's a fucking curmudgeon. Um, I, my only comment is, when is fucking uh, Herb going to get off this Taker team thing? Like, why would you – why – and even though Taker's only been around five years at this point, why would you waste your time making a two-Taker tag team? It's the fucking stupidest thing ever. I don't know why he's on a hang-up about this. Absolutely awful. I mean, really. Two Takers? That's stupid. I don't know why he keeps haranguing about that, but anyway. Well, anytime I watch number 794 now, I will remember where I was when Hurricanes broke the news of the two Undertakers. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what else I'll remember, Scott? Yes. The song I'll remember, which is sung by Madonna, the number two song in the nation mm -hmm. this week in 1994, I swear, still at number one. And that brings us into our vintage pop culture corner.
Thank you, JR. Yes, I swear by All for One, which was dominating uh, the, the charts this late spring, early summer of 1994. 30 straight weeks at number one. I swear. Uh, and then, of course, I'll remember by Madonna from the movie With Honors, which I always like to remind everyone. Uh, the rest of the top 10 for this week ending June 4th, 1994. Uh, the Sign by Ace of Base at number three. Return to Innocence by Enigma at number uh, four. Number five, The Most Beautiful Girl in the World by Prince. Uh, Baby, I Love Your Way by Big Mountain uh, from the movie Reality Bites at number six. Don't Turn Around by Ace of Base. So Ace of Base had two songs in the top seven. Oh, yeah. Big year for them, 94. Big time. Number eight, uh, one of my another another uh, song from a movie and one of my personal favorites, from Above the Rim, little Warren G and Nate Dogg, with some Regulate, Mount Up. At number nine, you mean the world, you mean the world to me by Tony Braxton, which is a pretty sweet song. And number ten, Aliyah with Back and Forth. So not a bad top ten. Mm -hmm. Some good R and B, some nice soul there uh, in the top ten uh, for this week. So let's go from the uh, radio to the big screen and check a look at the movies for the week ending June 3rd, 1994 for the weekend. Let's see what the hot movies were. Uh, the top 10 look like this. Uh, number 10, a debut. This actually were a few debuts this week. Uh, the endless summer two. Uh, I have no idea what that is, but it's a sequel. So at number nine, a little, uh, Spike Lee action Crooklyn, which was in the top 10, I think on our last episode, JR number eight, four weddings and a funeral. Number seven, When a Man Loves a Woman. Uh, number six, The Crow. Still running mm. hot, even though it started, I think, the previous year, but still kicking ass. Well, how many weeks? No, if only f uh, five weeks. So it start, came out. I keep thinking it came out in 93. Right. That's when Brandon Lee died, because that's when they shot it. But uh, oh, no pun intended there. Um, uh, the Crow, number five. A couple of premieres uh, weekends. The Cowboy Way. It's a universal movie. I don't remember that one. And Renaissance Man premiered at number four. Is that Robin Williams? Oh, I like that movie. No, Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito, okay. Yeah, my that, uncle was actually in the Army Reserves at the time, and we got tickets to, like, a special screening a couple of days before it came out, and there was a bunch of Army dudes were there, and they all loved it. It was pretty – it's a pretty cool movie. Hmm. It's, you know, it's worth an hour and a half. Nothing great, yeah. but yeah. cool. Well, yeah. it premiered at number four for the weekend. Uh, number three, Beverly Hills Cop 3. Number two, Maverick. That's the movie with, what, Mel Gibson, James Garner. Tom based Cruise. On Oh. Tom Cruise. No, wrong one. No, wrong one. <laughs> Trust me, this Maverick didn't make what that Maverick's making. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but uh, based on the James Garner television show from the 60s, he played Maverick. So, And the number one movie of the weekend, uh, it's first, it's already been out two weeks. Probably one of the worst movies ever made. The Flintstones. Oh, come on. That's a nice movie. With John Goodman? Yeah, that's a Steve, fine would you, movie. Steve, would, any, Steve, would anybody calls a movie nice? That's a nice way of saying it sucked. Uh, so. No, I didn't. <laughs> it was fine. Nah. It's, 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 it was all right. The bad one is the second one, when they go to Vegas. That's yes, awesome. yeah, Viva Rock Vegas. Yeah, Viva yeah, Rock this Vegas, one yeah. Is, this one isn't bad. No, this is pretty good. And I like this one. No. This is a movie I introduced Paula to. She goes crazy for it, too. She likes well, it, uh, so. I mean, it made money. I mean, there's two weekends in release. And Flintstone point, should be running a wheelhouse, Scott. I wasn't growing up, weren't you? Uh... <laughs> yes. Well, no. It was on, it, the show was off the air by the time I was a kid. But it sure? was, wasn't syndicated. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> Are you sure? 1794. <laughs> you need. Uh, <laughs> check the dates. Um, it was a syndication when I was a kid. So anyway, two weeks. I will say this, though. Two weeks 
uh, on the charts and it had made $62 million. So it did make money. I can't, I won't make fun of that. So, Steven all right, well, JR was involved. What's that? Steven Spielberg, I think, was the executive producer of yeah. that. Yeah. I'm assuming he was, yeah. Was involved. Uh, yeah, it was good, good, good movie. Try, watch what? it again. Another, another Spielberg alien movie, Flintstones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is it? Alien movie. <laughs> Uh, we did have one NBA playoff game on this day uh, from Madison Square Garden in New York City. It was game five of the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and the Pacers stole one at the Garden, beating the Knicks 93-86. Reggie Miller had 39. God, I love Pacers, that series. And the Pacers uh, took the uh, series lead three games to two, as we would all remember. Uh, it did not hold. The Knicks won the next two to win the finally after three years of Michael Jordan poking them in the eye. Actually, two years. They didn't meet in 91. They played. Uh, did they meet in 91? I'm trying to remember the Bulls. I know they definitely played each other in 92 and 93. Yeah, 92 and 93. 93 was the one where it looked like maybe they had a shot and then they yeah. choked. But they choked. <clears throat> now, 94, they finally broke, though. They beat the Bulls in the second round. Pippins. Yes. Yep. And then, yeah, that Pacer series was a war. I love that series. That and the I love that series, too. It was, it was like my fact, first. Like, it yeah, yeah no, it was awesome. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you want to watch, uh, I've been rewatching some of the 30 for 30s on uh, uh, on ESPN Plus, and the one they did, the first season, the one they did about Reggie and the Knicks with Spike Lee and all that's actually very good. Mm-hmm. Quick watch. I think it's like 50 minutes or something. It's pretty good. Um, at this point, the Rockets had already knocked out, I think, Utah. So the Rockets had already won the West and were just sitting and waiting for uh, who won this series. Now, that that Bulls, uh, that Bulls, uh, was that the one where, where Phil picked Kukoc to take the last shot and fucking Pippen sulked and didn't come on the court. Right? I think that was that series, right? Yeah, Sounds yeah, right. Yeah. They yeah. Lost. yeah, figures. Yeah. And that's why Scottie Pippen will never beat Michael Jordan. Anyway, um, so there you go. So there's one playoff game in that day. Major League uh, Baseball on this day back in 1994. Let's see. Uh, What's the date? June, June 1st. June 1st, June 1st. 1994. Oh, yes, uh, all the teams were in action. Stanley Cup Finals. Yes, there was an off day. Uh, yes, it was an off day. I looked. Uh, yeah, game two the, is June second. Yeah. Yes, the, the night before the uh, Canucks, uh, I think, stole one at the Garden against the Rangers. They the did Cooper. in overtime. McLean made fifty saves. It's one of the best Stanley Cup finals. Of well, it's one of the most unheralded there. Stanley Cup finals because I mean, everyone pretty much thought that the Devils Rangers was the Stanley Cup final, and the winner of that series would take out Vancouver easily. Well, uh, and that's the best that's, seven game series of my lifetime. That Rangers. Uh, I agree. I agree. Devil and I'm not series, a fan of team. No, I agree. But, and I know, um, I know I know guys that are both Ranger and Devil fans that think that's the greatest hockey series of all time. So the the uh the Rangers regroup and win game two, and then game three of the series is really interesting because Pablo Bure scores a breakaway goal in the first minute and the Pacific Coliseum is going freaking nuts. A couple minutes later he gets ejected because back then, if you got a high sticking penalty that drew blood, you were automatically out of the game. Yes. And that's right. Uh, he he kind of went to lift uh Jay. Wells a stick. What a trade-off, huh? Jay Wells yeah. gets a stitch, and you lose Pablo Vray for the night. Uh, yep. and, it, and it rode up and hit him in the face. But uh, yep. you guys will probably be way past this series by the time we do the next episode. Oh, yeah, uh, no, by, by the, the time that. we get to the next – yeah, by yeah. the time we get to the next paper, both these series will be over. So Yeah, so I want uh, to mention it. Rangers win in seven, a great series. And uh, there's a lot of great documentaries about it as well if you're looking for something. Yes, yes, yes there is. Sorry um, about that. No, it's okay. On the diamond on this day, all teams were in action. Uh, the, uh, who was your, ba- I always forget. Steve. It's the Braves, just because I could watch them every day here. You growing up in Buffalo, pre-regional sports networks, it was either Braves or Cubs, you know, cause they right. were the only teams that you could watch every day, WGN or TBS. 
So I'm a Braves fan. Also, like, I think I like baseball more than I like any team. Like, the Braves are probably my least favorite of all my favorite teams. I, I do enjoy the everydayness of baseball and getting to follow them every day. Obviously, it was a great week for your Mets. Great weekend for your Mets to win four or five uh, against them this weekend. But, boy, everyone's just wasting their time out there in 94, June of 94, huh? Because we're about to get the rug pulled out. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. J.R. and I will get there. Speaking of the Braves, they beat the Giants on this day one nothing, and a certain free agent that signed in the offseason uh, won his ninth game, Mr. Yeah, Greg Maddox. He was decent. Nine Although and they, two. This if this season would have went on, they probably would have had their streak broken because uh, I think the Expos probably would have won that division. But. I argue. I argue. Well, let me do the scores quick and I'll let you know. So uh, right. the Red Sox uh, the Red Sox beat the Royals 4-2. to two. Uh, Yankees lost to the White Sox at the stadium 5-4. Mets lost to the Rockies yes. uh, in, uh, at Shea 4-3. to three. Yankees are leading the East by two and a half. White Sox win in the, leading the Central. Texas leads the West. All four teams are under 500 in the AL West. Uh, Texas leads with a record of 23 and 27. Uh, as mentioned, Atlanta at the moment, though, Atlanta was leading the East by three and a half over the Expos. Um, but they Houston, were six back at the strike. Yeah, Houston was uh, uh, Houston and Cincinnati tied in the Central, and the Dodgers were leading the West by four over the Giants and Rockies. I contend. To this day, I still say this, that the 1990, if there was a 1994 World Series, the 1994 World Series would have been the Yankees and the Expos. I, I, I totally believe that. And I actually think just based on the fact that the Yankees had didn't have a ton of lefties other than Jimmy Key and that that Expo lineup was loaded with lefties. I have a feeling the Expos might have won that series if it was Yankees Expos, only because the Yankees didn't have what they had. They had Jimmy Key. That's pretty much it. So they had Donnie baseball to miss out, you know, on that. And then he only gets the one crack at it and they lose in five, but yeah. And he batted four seventeen in that series too. Um, so right. Who else was in that? Uh, oh, there's Terry Mulholland. Ugh. I got it. Yeah. Uh, it was G- yeah. Jim Abbott. Oh, I guess he did have a few lefties, but well, Terry Mulholland couldn't get anybody out. I, I, that, that year, 94, I took my dad to, uh, uh, to a Yankee game on Father's Day. They were playing Milwaukee when the Brewers were still in the American League. Terry Mulholland pitched, and we had, the only tickets I could get was in the family section. So uh, at the time, at the old stadium, you couldn't buy beer from your seats. You had to uh, you had to go like walk to another section. So my dad was like, all right, fine. And then, of course, Terry Mulholland just couldn't get like any of us out. And Greg Vaughn hit a ball that I think hit the heel you – know, if you got, well, I know you've been in the stadium, Jr. I don't know if the old. Stadium. Oh yeah, I've been there. Yep. That that he, I think it he I, that helix. That's the the parking helix that was behind like the left field foul pole. I think Greg Vaughn hit it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and, uh, and my father goes, really, of all days that I can't have a guy send a beer to me, I got to get up and get it myself. <laughs> I think the Yanks lost like thirteen to three or something. Anyway, um, but yeah. So of course, as as Steve mentioned, within two months, nobody gives a shit. So, um, anyway. Yeah. On that, uh, that is your uh, Pop Culture Corner. All right. Well, <clears throat> I think Steve plugged everything he had to plug earlier, so I think we're good there. Uh, over the North South Connection, we, of course, we always have lots of content coming at you fairly regularly. We've been churning out the greatest WWE wrestler ever project content to Ryan Gray. I've uh, been doing a lot of work on making the case. Most recent one was him and Ryan Everett uh, defending your boy. Ryan Gray was defending your boy, Scott Triple H. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ryan Everett had the case of Chris Jericho. So they go back and forth and talk about oh. the rankings there. Of course, on Noel's Bard, myself and Aaron going through our GWE lists as well. So a lot of content on the North-South around that. 
Aaron also continues to churn out the wrestler that was every other week on Mondays going into the full WF, uh, mainly pay-per-view, but also uh, other big show careers of various solo wrestlers. Mm-hmm. That's our prestige audio. Super proud of that. Uh, also, we have a brand new podcast that just dropped uh, over the weekend. Our buddy Sean Kidd leading his cadre of minions on the seven months of danger adventure. So they are covering the entire run of the dangerous Alliance. It's a limited series podcast. Uh, it's going to be every other Sunday nights, uh, Sean and his crew are going through that. So this first one covers kind of the early ish days, uh, right before the formation. And then I think episode two, will kind of get into them pulling things together. So I think episode one focuses on Halloween havoc, but so, uh, excited to have that dropping. That'll be running, like I said, every other Sunday night along with all of our other daily content. Just give a quick plug for the return of Close Eyes and Headlines 2.0. Ryan Gray does a great job there, too. Of course, uh, that's our current day WWE wrestling uh, podcast that alternates with AEW's. Our AEW podcast, which is, uh, you know, what that means, that's Jordan Duncan and Andrew Reese every the Friday. So Fridays of the North-South is our current wrestling content. And then, of course, over in the PlayStation Wrestling Feed, Scott, you still got main event going strong. Uh, year eight, one of that show, so... Yes, as a matter of fact, it's funny you say anniversary, Jr. Thank you for the plug. Uh, the uh, uh, we, we we're taking a couple weeks off for scheduling purposes, but coming up uh, next week. Speaking of both main event, current wrestling, and the boogie of the Bayou, Andrew Reich, we're coming up on episode 200 mm-hmm. of Place Me Nation's main event. So we're gonna have some, we're gonna have a little little fun and surprises on that show. Nice. So check that out. Of course, all the great content here. Speaking of Sean Kidd, who I feel like has 67 podcasts. <laughs> I think he has more than you and I combined. 67 um, and 65 of them are on hiatus, but yes, I think so. Yeah, that is true. Yes, that's true. But of course, he is uh, one of the co-hosts of NWA Crock and Roll. New sh- new episode dropped last week. Of course, always the best. Uh, Hybrid of the Impact Zone with uh, uh, our little mud chip, uh, Logan Crosland. They just passed 50 episodes. Uh, so check that out. Of course, uh, uh, myself and uh, the doctor with the uh, NWA Saturday special and all the great stuff here on the show. It's going to be a very busy, fun August. Of course, on the back end of August, in a couple of weeks, uh, we will be having extensive coverage of the NWA 74 pay-per-view weekend. Uh, Dr. G and I will have a uh, special Saturday a Saturday special a preview episode. And then two nights of live uh, Place to Be Nation Twitch alternate commentary during the show which of course you can purchase on fight tv from san louis and then uh that monday morning uh we will have a reaction special so check that out Uh, coming up uh at the end of the month here in august and then uh, all the great stuff every week place to be.podbean.com also please follow the brand on twitter at ptbn wrestling uh we always talk wrestling we do polls we drop the pods we have a lot of fun so uh and of course uh, as jr mentioned as well with the wonderful no so. Uh, as you mentioned, as you uh, might have noticed, we did not have um, uh, any 90210 episode because season four had concluded by this point. Um, speaking of 90210, may I give a personal plug to the wonderful 90210 no so, which is always a fun experience uh, mm-hmm. listening to you, Mr. Capel, and all of your guests, including myself. Uh, your, your guys are. Uh, heading into season two, uh, if I'm not, if I am correct. Yeah, actually, and, episode season two, episode two just dropped uh, this past Friday. So wow. uh, that was exciting. We had a, a great uh, chat as well. So Sean Kidd was with us. I'll speak to Sean Kidd. <laughs> uh, he, was, <laughs> he was with us on that episode. Uh, uh, but you can find us at bh90210noso.podbean.com. It's our own dedicated feed. We're going chronologically yes. through the history of Beverly Hills 90210. Um, season two, kind of a unusual like uh 
like a like a show goes through puberty, you know, like season mm-hmm. one, still a little kid. Season two, you know, it starts off a little not shaky, but still kind of in its infancy. And then, in my opinion, when we see the uh, the appearance of the iconically awesome uh, Emily Valentine, I feel like season two then hits its stride. And then season three, of course, is the first one where it kicks off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we get into the fall of uh, our pop culture corners, Jr., we'll be getting into season five here, which, of course, is an epic season because yes. one of your my favorites uh, in the history of ever uh, makes its date makes her debut. But we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there you go. And of course, uh, the Jenny position, which you can always find over on the No So Feed every Wednesday, she drops a show. Uh, and of course the PTB pop experience, Andy Atherton and the guys every day and gals, uh, every day we, they do the, uh, jukebox song of the day. And we did a, we kind of did a tribute last week, uh, because, uh, of course of the, uh, or earlier this month of the very sad death of Olivia Newton, John who passed away at the yes. age of 73. And, you know, we were always like, Oh, old singer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something. Nobody today. hates, uh, she did at the age of 73. And, uh, oh, yeah, well, she had been battling breast cancer since right around yeah, the time of our right around the time of our herb notes in yeah. the early nineties. Yeah. Wow. Um wow. uh nobody hates Greece though. Well, I know a few people, but nobody hates Greece. Um so maybe throw Greece in as a uh tribute to Olivia Newton John. Uh so there you go. All the pods and all the space you need in the ether uh for great listening content. All right, let's all right. fast forward to two thousand and eight. Because it is time to talk. One night stands. You feel that? You better hold on. This one's not to get wrong. Make you live on June 1st, 2008, from the San Diego Sports Arena from San Diego, California. Mm-hmm. Attendance 9,961, buy rate of 194,000. Sorry, say buys 194,000. This is the fourth edition of One Night Stand, the final edition starting next year. They rebrand as Extreme Rules. California's 21st pay per view, tied in New York for the most now after this show. The third ever in San Diego, first since Taboo Tuesday, 2005. The first one was Vengeance, 2001. On May 20th, 2008, William Regal was suspended for 60 days due to the second violation of the wellness policy. To cover this, Regal lost a loser would be fired, mashing Mr. Kennedy, and also had to abdicate his position as general manager of Raw. And that was a shitty one because everyone had always been clamoring for a big Regal push, and he, he won the King, he was the GM, he was like really mm-hmm. high, heavily featured on TV. I remember this at the time, and then when he could pop for that, I was like, shit, like, you know, way to blow. <laughs> like, like, probably maybe your last chance at a, right. a major Raw. So that one sucked. Right. Uh, a week later, Vince McMahon announced the WWE draft would take place on the June 23rd Raw. And on a future date, he would be giving money away to random fans, adding up to $1 million of his own funds. On May 29th, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and his wife Danny officially got divorced. And of course, they are, uh, I guess, separated a couple goals. They're still uh, very successful business partners to this day. So good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Did you guys just see their executive producing together a wrestling show about the territories on Vice? Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It looks all right. Yeah, it looks all right. Uh, the next day, the final edition of Sunday Night Heat occur- occurred on Dodie.com. So, throw oh. an end to that show. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of days later, John Bradshaw Layfield's wife, financial analyst Meredith Whitney, was rated number 38 on the New York Post 50 Most Powerful Women in New York City. Very so, proud of her. Very proud of her. Yes. Yes, he is. 
Uh, all right. We had a dark match. Matt Hardy took on Shelton Benjamin for the U.S. title. So that opened up our show. Hardy uh, defeated him. Actually, was that for the belt? doesn't look like it. must have been non-title. Um, no. Because Hardy. Yeah. Uh, all right. And then uh, that brings us into our show proper. We had a basic video package talking about all the top matches tonight. How tonight's not the night for the rules or restraint, kind of highlighting all the gimmicks that are in place. Jaron the King welcome us in quickly. We see our cool little demolition-based arena set, and then they throw us right to the ring for our opening match, featuring Jeff Hardy taking on Umaga in a Falls Count Anywhere bout. Uh, Scott, you want to tell us how we came about to this one? Uh, yes. Uh, on a side note, Jr., you mentioned about mm-hmm. uh, One Night Stand. Uh, the subtitle was Extreme Rules, but you can clearly tell from yes. the branding on the signs, from the apron that they were phasing out the the term one night stand, and that pretty yeah, much from here on out. Yeah, from pretty much from here on out, the pay per view would be called uh, Extreme Rules. Uh, all right, well, on the 519 Raw, Hardy and Umaga wrestled to a double countout, with Umaga giving Hardy a spinning sidewalk slam on the floor, and Hardy would be tended to, to by the trainers. Uh, later that night, William Regal announced that Hardy and Umaga would face off here in a Falls Count Anywhere match. On the 526 Raw, Umaga and JBL defeated Hardy and John Cena in a tag match where JBL pinned Hardy. And uh, that's pretty much all we got up to this point. All right, yeah, I thought this was a good way to start things off. It's a big match for Hardy. Uh, Umaga's been a little MIA. We've talked about kind of the, some of the disappointment with him, Scott, but it seems like he's yeah. you know bouncing back a little bit in working with Hardy here. And they do have a really good back and forth. They go all over the arena. Uh, they head to the back of the arena. Umaga's throwing chairs all around. They're using the penalty box as a weapon, hazard barrels, fire extinguishers. They even fight up a set of stairs, and Jeff slides down the railing, which is a cool-looking spot. Uh, they go to the concourse. Umaga's just throwing Jeff into things. They, they really were like a good little match, a big man. Little man, but like on the extremes, Umaga's so good at that snap off and throwing guys around. And Jeff is uh, really good at selling and taking these wild bumps. Uh, Jeff ends up flying off a truck with a swanton into an abyss. Uh, the camera circles around and we see Jeff laying on top of Umaga. I thought they did a good job hiding the crash pad on this. Uh, not always a given. Sometimes you can see it. It's obvious. But this was well shot the way they did it, where he flies off. They roam around to the back, and by the time they get there, they're on the ground. So it looked good. Uh, and Jeff picks up the win with that swanton. So this is a really fun brawl. It was unique. It was different. Uh, a lot of good impact offense and smooth chemistry. It didn't feel overdone. It wasn't too walk brawly either. They kept kind of stopping and mixing things in. Uh, I thought going outside was a fresh look, especially with it being daylight still. So you don't get that a lot recently. Hardy gets a big win as he slays the monster in a really good opener to see Jeffrey establish himself. Scott, I went three and a quarter. I thought this was a fun, fun match and seeing Jeff kind of bounce back after the, the suspension, trying to regain his footing that he had lost. I agree. I gave it, I actually liked this match a lot. I gave it a little bit higher than you. I gave it three and a half your match time, nine sixteen. So good opener. Uh, yeah, I like this. Um, you know, again, anytime Jeff Hardy can go up against somebody who could chuck him all over the place. Uh, you're you're in for a, an entertaining match because that's just how that's how good that uh, that Jeff Hardy was at that point. He was kind of locked in, uh, trying to get out of the funk of what happened before, but seems to be back in a good groove. They, they they did trust him. I have to say that because you know here was a situation where he was you know a stone's throw away from becoming the WWE champion uh, at the back end of 07, and uh, um, you know uh, or the world champion, and uh, he just fell short. But the fact there was they, they had trust in him and they dealt with the, the suspension fine. He did. And he came back uh, as for Umaga. Um, yeah. You know, we lost that match at Mania to um, 
to Batista. And then he kind of, yeah, he kind of like got, uh, it was weird. Very aimless for a couple months. And comes back here and does what he does best, which is uh, beat the snot out of a smaller guy and put over the smaller guy. Unless sometimes he occasionally wins. In this case, he did not. But I think that's because, uh, I think that's because, uh, uh, you know, they still had Jeff lined up for, for better things down the road. Uh, overall, good match. I agree with you, JR. We don't often get to see daylight when they wrestle outside. But, of course, local time, it was, you know, only after 5 o'clock in, uh, you know, in San Diego in the summer, in essence. So uh, I enjoyed the match a lot, Steve. I like watching Jeff bump around. Uh, makes him look good. Makes Sumaga look good. And I think the right guy went over. Yeah, I actually enjoyed this match. Um, real quick side note. I'm excited about it being in San Diego. I don't know. You guys know the history of the city, but it was actually discovered by the Germans um, in 1904, and uh, it translates to Wales vagina. So excited to have San Diego as the background, and like you said, we see it here. Um, you know what? This match benefits from something that the later matches are hurt by, and that's I'm uh, not worn out with all these stipulation matches yet. You know what I mean? And uh, like, because every match is one, and I just kind of get bored with it, and I just want to see a wrestling match. But that never comes. But I'm not at that point yet, and I enjoyed this. And, man, Jeff Hardy's a fearless dude who does some crazy shit out there. And I had fun watching it. it nine minutes was the right amount of time, and it felt like less than that. A couple of these matches, I looked at the runtime, and they felt like more than that. This wasn't that. Um, so, yeah, solid three for me. I enjoyed it. Jeff Hardy's cool to watch. All right, Michael Cole and Mick Foley reset us. We get clips from earlier where Foley walked us through how a stretcher match works. Well done. I thought to get that gimmick over. You kind of add Foley's hardcore insights in there. Cole plugs a mobile poll for fans to vote who will win a stretcher match later tonight. We didn't see Sean Merriman in the crowd from, of course, playing for the Chargers. Uh, Mike Adamley and the Taz, as he calls him, catch us up and set us up for tonight's ECW action, which is a four-way Singapore cane match featuring CM Punk. Ch- I'm sorry, five-way. C- CM Punk, Chavo Guerrero, John Morris and Tommy Dreamer and the Big Show to decide the number one contender for the ECW title at Night of Champions. Uh, Scott, any background on this match you want to share with us? Uh, but of course, fine, sir. Uh, the winner of the match will earn an ECW uh, championship match later in the month against Kane at Night of Champions in uh, Big da- in Big D in Dallas. On the uh, May 20th ECW, Armando Estrada announced that Punk, Morrison, Guerrero, and Dreamer would face off in a fatal four-way at the pay-per-view to determine who would win an ECW title shot at a future date. Later that night, Punk and Dreamer teamed up to face Guerrero and Morrison, which ended in no contest when Show attacked all four men and announced he was adding himself to the four-way, making it a five-way. The following week on 527, it was announced the winner of the five-way would earn their title shot at Night of Champions which would be later in the month in Dallas, and we would see highlights of when each participant won the ECW title before. Uh, During that night, Show would defeat Dreamer, and Guerrero would defeat Punk, and Morrison and Miz lost to Kane in a handicap match, which led to a brawl with all the participants and ended with Show and Kane having a stare down. So pretty much all the top faces uh, uh, in the promotion at the moment, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's where they were going with it. Yeah, and it's an interesting <clears throat> Singapore cage match. Singapore, <laughs> easy for me to say, cane match, given the mix of talent here. It helps e- elevate ECW in a way. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like some guys are just above it, like Show and Punk. I mean, Show just a couple months ago was in the, like one of the biggest matches of WrestleMania history against Floyd Mayweather. Uh, and here now he's in a five-way Singapore cane match with Tommy Dreamer in 2008 for the ECW title. I mean, it's like it just feels like 
such a drop from where they brought him back. And on the flip side, Punk feels like, when are we done with this? Like, he won Money in the Bank at WrestleMania. I guess they're just waiting for the draft at this point, but it just feels like he's in a real um, purgatory on ECW post-WrestleMania here. It just feels like he's just hanging around. and They can't mm-hmm. demote him, but he's not going to win the ECW title, so he's just in this weird purgatory spot back and forth. Uh, Punk does have the Money in the Bank with him. Adam Lee, Adam Lee still calls him CM, which just cracks me up. It's so funny. Uh, Punk says, uh, and he says Punk has struggled since Mania, but the Taz disagrees. Taz says a lot of guys in this don't have experience in Singapore Kane, so maybe Dreamer will be favored. Chav, of course, had Bam Neely with him. Uh, show seems confident. Again, he feels like more of a top guy than he was last with ECW. We kind of felt like the gatekeeper there. Everyone kind of swarms show to start. Uh, they all end up grabbing their canes and they beat the shit out of show, which is a pretty good spot. They spill to the floor and Chavo ends up caning Sean Merriman by accident. So Punk gives Merriman the cane and he smashes Chavo with it. That gets a big pop. That was a pretty fun spot for the hometown crowd. Uh, nice spot where Dreamer gets a pump handle suplex using the cane on Morrison. You can tell mm. he has a lot of cane-based offense from his original ECW days. Uh, Dreamer actually looked okay here too. Like he blocks to go to sleep and goes into a clover leaf. Morrison busts that up. Show gets pretty pissed and ends up stalking around. He's bloodied from that cane attack earlier, grabs a cane and just destroys the Miz and Neely at ringside and just starts mauling his opponents and then destroys Tommy with a choke slam and murders him with a cane shot. And he wins and gets a title shot against Kane at Night of Champions for the ECW title. Kane versus Big Show. Here we are. Uh, I was surprised to get how good this was. Like, I thought it was pretty well booked. It was pretty fun. Everyone with the flow. There's some innovative spots in there. I thought Show was great as a piss-off monster. He looked strong again. You know, I kind of complained about him being in the spot. But I thought he owned it and really took advantage of it to stand out as everyone kind of orbited around him. Other than Punk feeling like he's beyond this, I thought this worked well. Uh, show facing his frenemy Kane. I, I don't know if like we're into that as ECW title match, but there's worse ways to use show coming off this big return where he's in great shape. So at least they're making him look like a monster. So Steve went three stars on this. I was actually pretty surprised. It caught me off guard. I was expecting it to be a uh, kind of a dud. And, uh, they actually, I thought they brought some good energy and creative offense in here. Yeah. You, you took a lot of my notes there. Went over a lot of the cool stuff. I, I like the Merriman spot a lot. I thought that was really cool. And the crowd ate that up. If he's there, you might as well use him. And I thought they did well. And uh, that yeah. worked. The gash on Big Show's head was nasty. Um, I don't know if he bladed himself or if that just happened. But that, you could, stick. I could stick my pinky in it probably. It was a nasty hole mm-hmm. in his head. Really, really gruesome. Um, and I enjoyed it too. I thought it was pretty interesting you know one thing about watching a show like this is i've never seen it i'm out of context in terms of you know what was going on at the time for the most part um so any one of them could have won the match and i would have just said oh all right um so it makes it a little bit more interesting when you're watching it because you know you believe a false finish a little bit more or whatever but i thought it was interesting uh fun to watch like you said i thought it was booked pretty well the spots worked thought everyone worked pretty hard and it was pretty decent some nasty some nasty wax with that Singapore cane. My God, the way they, the way that thing echoes off your back sometimes. It's like, oh, but I'm not in there taking it. I gave it three stars too. It was good. Uh, yeah, I also gave it three stars. Uh, your time was eight thirty-five. Uh, yeah, you know, Big Show. It's and I was saying this when I was watching it over the weekend. Wow, what a, what a change the Big Show looks. Uh, I look back to his last ECW run, and and you look mm-hmm. back to 
to December to December 06 when he was fat and he was like really bloated and his eyes were sunken in and he, he literally looked like his heart was going to just explode and he was going to die. And I, I, I guarantee you that if he didn't take that time off throughout 07, he probably would have. Uh, he came back at trim uh, for him anyway. Um, you know, looking clear, his face looked uh, like really healthy and the bags under his eyes were gone. And he looked amazing. This was a great chance for him to kind of get back into the swing of things. Um, at this point, I feel like Punk's just in matches just to make the matches better. I mean, you know, until they figure out what to do. You know, he walks around, he's got the briefcase with the Chicago flag on, he bangs on it, he walks away. Like, it, that's pretty much all he's doing right now. His, his goal is to pretty much just make the matches better, knowing you're not going to win. Uh, Big Show Kane for the ECW title kind of makes me laugh. <laughs> but but uh, listen, if the two of them are going to are gonna bump around and beat the shit out of each other, all right, I'm, I'm game. I'll pick up what you're putting down. Um, I like the pump. Well, I just hope that's like a one-off and then we move on. Like, I, I don't want that to yeah. be the top of your feud. Like, no, again, no. we've we talked about this a lot. It's, you know, I think you and I both enjoyed this reboot. Like, I think we're revisiting stuff we had forgotten and learning about cool stuff. Absolutely. But I will say one of the most frustrating pieces has been the direction of ECW. So like, what is it? You know what I mean? Like, like, what is it meant to be? Is it supposed to be grooming guys, bringing them up? Is it supposed to be a home for veterans? Is it a brand? Is it development? Like, I just feel like we haven't really identified that. And having Kane and Big Show be your top two contenders or champion and contender just makes you wonder, like, what are we doing? You know, and Chavo has been champion. So it's like, where, where are we at with this? Right. I agree. Uh, yeah, no, they can't lean on this. And then, and then but the problem is aesthetically, I think it goes, it gets even worse and we'll get more into that on our next couple of shows. I feel like the aesthetic of ECW just disappears and I'll, and you know, I'll, I'll mention it when we get to that point, mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I just, as I see a couple of hosses, but you're right. I mean, just well, no, I think guys... again, it's fine for like a one-off if we're at night of champions. Okay. Big show fights Kane either wins or doesn't, but then he should move on to something else and let Kane take on someone that could maybe needs the spot more than big show. I, I just think it's just an odd fit given how hard they push show coming off his return into mania. I mean, that was like a main event spot, you know, and then he's just getting the Bigelow 95 where it's just like down the card immediately. So it just feels like maybe he could be doing a little bit more and, and maybe Kane could be doing this more at the side of putting over someone newer. Yes. I think this is a lot of this is, is holding over and, and ECW is kind of losing its way even after what, two years, it's already kind of lost. It's yeah. What's it's it going to be? Yeah. So a uh, fun little match, nothing too crazy. Um, and uh, yeah, big win for the big show and he gets the title shot at the end of the month. All right. Todd Grisham is with Vince McMahon. Talks about his big announcement that he'll be giving away a million dollars of his own money each week on raw and all the media coverage around that. Vince says he guarantees the money will be given away and says it'll be called McMahon's million dollar mania. The details will be revealed on Raw tomorrow night. It's fans only, not employees. Ron Simmons comes in and hits the dam. And uh, big big news there, Scott. I remember the remember the revelation of this and the um you know, the I guess the excitement or interest around it with uh with the giveaway. And it was legit. They gave away prize money, so mm -hmm. but it was definitely yeah. a big deal at the time. Moderately nonsensical. <laughs> but uh uh I think it's just something that, you know, Vince throws out there and we have mm -hmm. to kind of see what they're what they're getting into. So, yep. 
All right. Our next match features uh, what's been a pretty uh, interesting ongoing feud, a little bit up and down so far for us. And this is a first blood match featuring John Cena and John Bradshaw Layfield, two guys that have kind of stepped back down Cena out of the title picture right now. So he's been keeping busy with JBL, who's working, still kind of working his way back in after his return to action at the end of 07. Uh, Scott, any uh, history between these two since our last pay-per-view? Well, let us see. uh, Let's see what we have here. All right. Uh, this is the last, as of now, and this is probably true, this is the last official First Blood match in the history of the company. So we have not really? had a First Blood match yet. Yeah. We have not had a First wow. Blood match uh, in the last, I guess, in essence, in the last 14 years. We have not had Wow, a, that's crazy. I would not have guessed that. Was yeah. Austin Kane the first? Or did they have one before that? Um. Hmm. I'm sure there were well, ones. In, in company history, there were ones before that, for sure. Like in the 70s and stuff. Like an official first, blood, first yeah. blood match. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, on pay-per-view, Crockett, though, Austin K might be the first one on pay-per-view. Yeah, I think that's Crockett true. had him. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Starcade 86, uh, you know, Dusty and Tully's TV title match was first blood. I'm just using that as an example that it was it was a, uh, sure. a gimmick true. elsewhere. But, yeah, but this is it. And it makes sense because, you know, the rating changes eventually and we don't see blood right. pretty much for a while. Yeah. So. No, I mean, yeah, once you said it, I guess it resonates. Yes. Yeah. This is the, by 2010, we're firmly in the Linda Senate PG era. So, yes. Uh, on the 519 Raw, William Regal announced that JBL and Randy Orton would face Cena and Triple H in a tag match, where if Orton and JBL won, they would choose the stipulations for the, their rematches, whereas if Cena and Triple H won, they would face each other at the pay-per-view in an Extreme Rules match. JBL and Orton would win the match when JBL pinned Cena, and he would announce their match would be a first blood match. The following month on 526 on Raw, Mickey James was meeting with Vince McMahon about his big announcement, uh, which, Vince, which uh, JR just mentioned what it was. And mentioned that Vince would, should do a program with schools when JBL interrupted and vowed to bloody up James' boyfriend in Cena. Remember that little weird uh, thing going mm-hmm. on? Later that yes. night, JBL teamed with Umaga to defeat Cena and Jeff Hardy in a tag match when he pinned Hardy. So I forgot about that whole bizarre uh, fucking Cena and Mickey James Cena thing. thing. Yeah, I to- to- totally did not remember that at all. So weird. All right, JBL struts out. JR reminds us that he selected the first blood stipulation. Uh, Cena gets a pretty good pop here. We'll see if this feud uh, gets some juice to make this stip intense enough. Uh, I like that JBL had the fists all taped. They look pretty good. And we really start with a big slugfest back and forth. Cena really bringing the offense all over him. Uh, you know, stay on the floor for a bit where JBL takes over and kind of drags him across the railing. Just a lot of punches. You could tell they're trying to go a little bit old school here and trying to punch each other open. The crowd seemed a little split. They're mainly behind Cena, but there were some boos in there, too, uh, whenever he made his comebacks. Uh, Mm -hmm. JBL uses the mic to pop him in the head. We get a five-knuckle shuffle and an FU, but JBL uh, snaps Cena across the top rope. Uh, No blood, so JBL just keeps escalating the violence, keeps punching away. Uh, Cena blocks a DDT on the steps and he tries to grind away. So just a lot of back and forth throughout this. Cena eventually gets shoved back and tied into the ropes and JBL grabs a long bullwhip. Uh, and Cena looks pretty scared as JBL snapping it around like he's Indiana Jones. Cena is able to kick JBL and slip free and he hooks the SCF and uses a chain to choke JBL who starts to bleed from his mouth. And that is that. And I thought that finish was pretty vicious and looked pretty good. Uh, I, I th- again, I thought this is a rock solid match tonight. A lot of punching and going for the cuts, which works well. Strategy, a place to JBL strengths, so just to be a big bully brawling guy. Uh, good atmosphere too. The crowd was pretty into it, even if they were a little split. 
Uh, I thought maybe the match was a little too long, but it escalated nicely to the finish. It's been good enough filler feud for Cena, too. Yes, it's been ups and downs. Yes, it's JBL, but it, it's kept Cena busy to let Triple H and Orton kind of run the main event scene for a bit. Uh, and a really good finish, too, that bumps it up. So I, I thought this is all, all really well done. I went three and a quarter, Scott. I did not expect to like this match. And that's kind of been the, the thread all, all through tonight. Like, all these matches I felt have over-delivered so far. Uh, I agree, because I never thought these two had much chemistry. Uh, I, uh, I I did knock it a little bit. I gave it a three, so a little less than you. Your match time, uh, 14.20, so they got a lot of time. I uh, I never thought these two had the best chemistry. Uh, it, it, pretty much this, you know, the high point for them, for me, mm-hmm. was the match uh, three years earlier at uh, at Judgment Day for the WWE title on with the I quit and the, the piece of the truck and everything. Um but this has been okay. I mean, speaking of a guy in a holding pattern, I feel like anytime Cena's not involved in like a world thing, that he's always in a holding pattern. <laughs> I know that's just kind of how we were programmed to be, like either Cena's world champion or he's just doing nothing. But I like the fact that Cena's kind of gotten himself into this reestablished mid-card kind of thing for himself. Uh, you know, he he had to forfeit the title um, after getting hurt. He had a couple of title shots, but nothing has come through. So it's almost like he's kind of uh, repositioning himself or reboosting his confidence with some nice mid-card stuff. But uh, I, I did like the uh, – I'm very old school when it comes to that kind of thing, when it comes to, like, the style of a first blood match, just, you know, Harley race brow punches. Uh, you know, that stuff's pretty cool. Um, I love the sound of the mic hitting the, you know, the gunk, gunk. That's always a good sound effect for a match like that when you're using the mic as a weapon. Um the right guy went over. Uh, Cena had to win this match, uh, considering what would eventually happen later in the night and what would be needed to happen, um, you know, in the next pay-per-view. But uh, I enjoyed it, Steve. Three stars for me. I mean, I was never the biggest Cena JBL fan in terms of their their in-rings chemistry together, but they put together a nice little match here. A lot of fun. Full disclosure, since I basically walked, which was probably right around the first grand split, whenever they did that, I don't remember exactly when it was. But oh, two. Yeah. Oh, two. Yeah, that, that was definitely it for me if I hadn't been kind of done already. But um, the one thing that I absolutely have loved and cared about and made a point to watch has been John Cena. Um, I think he's an amazing professional wrestler. I think he's one. I think I had him on my, I think I had him number four on my list last time, five years ago, and I'll probably have him number four again this year. Um, I love the make a wish stuff. I love, his attitude, I love that he's always kind of represented um, being on the other side of what I, one of the things I hated the most about wrestling, and that's like the smart crowd and things like that. The you suck people, I've always wanted mm-hmm. to be on John's side mm-hmm. and not theirs. So that's where I'm coming from. I was really excited to watch this match because it's a Cena match I had never seen. And I thought it was really good. Um, I'm not a big JBL guy at all, uh, but I thought that the end of this match, the way they did the finish with the blood pouring out of his mouth, I thought it was such a great finish to a match like this. I thought it yeah. looked really vicious and was really well done and really cool. I agree with whoever said it. It was probably about three or four minutes too long. Um, but anytime uh, Cena's is on and, and working, and I thought the crowd was mostly pro Cena, like you, I did hear a few boos here or there, but for the most part, I was, I guess, surprised at how much the crowd was on his side because I just always assumed they weren't. Um, I, you know, I don't really know when that started or when it didn't. But, yeah, I didn't know we could do quarters now. I went three and a half um, because I was somewhere between three and 
three and a quarter. It, it took us like, a, 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 you know, 11 years, <laughs> multiple timelines. We finally did it. We finally did it. Yeah. <laughs> just never I, remember. If I knew that, I might have went three and a quarter, but I'll stick with the three and a half uh, just for my boy John Cena, who was really great, I thought, this night. All right, Orton comes to talk to Batista, who wants nothing to do with him. Orton says they have the opportunity tonight to take out Triple H and Shawn Michaels to get back on top. Orton says there's a draft coming, and maybe they could end up on the same show. If show, they could get the band back together. Orton is dirty champion, Batista by his side. They'd be leaders this time, not followers. Bigger than DX ever was, and Batista just stares at him and walks off. So I think there's an interesting approach, you know, setting up potential relationship with these guys, which could have been cool. Hmm. Because right now you're not quite sure where, but yeah, you're not quite sure where Batista is going at this moment. So not a bad, uh, not bad thinking there. I thought some of the backstage stuff in general in this show is pretty good. Like, I don't remember if we mentioned the Vince McMahon thing before. I thought that was pretty good. But yeah, I I thought they did a good job kind of filling in the gaps here. Anytime they went to the back, something interesting seemed to be going on. So I like that, too. And one of the nice things about like this run that we've been on at 07 and 08 is these these shows really are pretty tight. They they really have the um the format and the and what they want to get across down pat. Like Not all a lot of these of shows huge, long video packages or anything, you know, those yeah, are the minimum. Yeah, they just turn along. We get quick little backstage stuff match, quick little backstage stuff match, interview match. It's like and we're in and out in like two forty every time. Like there is such a nice little feel and vibe and formula to these that's been surprising mm. to me so i, I agree 100 percent. yep all right back to the ring we go for our uh i quit women's match and that is beth phoenix taking on melina two of our top divas ready to reignite scott you want to tell us what's got us to this point for this i quit match all right well uh jr and steve uh this is the first another uh match uh gimmick moment this is the first official i quit match in women's history in WWE. First I quit match involving women. On the 519 Raw, Phoenix defeated Maria by submission while Melina did commentary, and she would brawl with Phoenix after the match, only for Phoenix to toss her up the ramp. And the following week on Raw on 526, Melina defeated Jillian Hall by submission while Phoenix did commentary, and it was announced the two would face off at the pay-per-view in an I quit match. So we just saw the last first blood match in company history and now we are about to witness the first, the first I quit match in women's history. Here we go. All right. And it is the first. Uh, Beth Phoenix struts out, wants to decimate her former pal. I thought it was cool to have a women's feud not around the title. Like, this is just two, two women and one out come out here and have a grudge match uh, that have been feuding. So that was cool. Melita's entrance is on point as always, although poor photographer trips during it and they even replay it. But I can't blame him, honestly. Uh, JR notes what you just noted, Scott, the first ever Diva I Quit match. Uh, Melina, right off the bell, gets a great big guillotine choke, drags Beth to the mat, but Beth stands up and powers out. Melina charges and leaves Beth, uh, but Beth catches her with a stiff backbreaker and bends her, trying to get the submission. Uh, Beth slugs away. Melina fights through and spikes her to the mat, gets a modified Indian deathlock, which Beth survives. We get the hanging neckbreaker, the shaking Melina like a rag doll. Beth keeps grinding and beating on Melina. Uh, who's able to finally leverage Beth into the ring post. She yanks hard on her arm, arm and kicks at it, trying to take advantage. Beth deadlifts out of a cross arm breaker. It's a running powerbomb to an awesome spot. Beth then follows a wheelbarrow sit-out slam, hooks a tight bow and arrow, but Melina stays strong. 
Beth resets the hold and basically bends her backwards in half. It's a pretty infamous moment there. And mm-hmm. Melina finally gives just a sick finish. Uh, if you've never seen it, it's worth checking out where Melina just gets bent completely in half to show off her flexibility. Uh, I, was another great match. The crowd was a bit checked out, but the structure was spot on. Uh, the chemistry was shining through. Melina looked like a real badass, surviving everything Beth uh, had until her, li- you know, Beth literally just broke her body in half. Uh, throwing her around was great. Just good on them for delivering a good match that made the gimmick hit. And just, again, with no title line, just two women out there trying to hurt each other. So I went three and a quarter on this, Scott. Uh, again, another match that really surprised me um, and delivered. Absolutely did. Uh, your match time is uh, 9.06. So give the ladies uh, plenty yeah. of time to uh, to work. I enjoyed this very much. Uh, uh, it had, it had uh, you know, it, it, it again, like kind of like Big Show with the ECW guys, like Beth Phoenix is one that could just bend around everybody and mm-hmm. really like work the women hard. I gave it three and a quarter as well, because I think that I think that Beth Phoenix right now is a prime is like the prime candidate in that company right now in that division, because, you know, I'm, I'm saying this delicately from an athletic perspective, but she kind of wrestles like a guy in the sense that she doesn't do a lot of the flips and flops and that kind of thing. She actually has pure strength. And you don't see that ton from a lot of the other women on the roster. So it's nice to see her use her strength to just start literally, like, taking out people easily. So I enjoyed that very much. And uh, I thought it was a fun match. I really did. I, I think Beth uh, – Melina is still very solid in the division. And I thought – I think Beth is the standard bearer. And I think Mickey being champion and chasing is – uh, is eventually going to catch up to her like it did Candice Michelle the year before, Steve. So I gave it three and a quarter. For nine minutes, I, I didn't feel there was any dead spots. The crowd did kind of, I feel like, took a break, and that's a bummer, but it still was a great match. Hmm, okay. Um, this wasn't for me. Um, I was checked out like the crowd. Uh, I wasn't interested. It was right about this time I kind of got tired of all the stipulations and I just couldn't find any reason to be interested in Beth Phoenix or Molina or who was going to win or why they might win. I just didn't care and don't care. Um, that's not to say I didn't think that they did their best and worked hard and best to them. This just isn't for me, but all the best to them. I mean, I'll give it two and a half because, like I said, they worked hard. I, I did think it was a good finish, like Justin said. Uh, I think I even gave it a little oof, like uh, that looked like it hurt kind of a thing. But um just not for me, but um, they worked hard, so props to that. Yeah, and, and Beth has been great through this whole run, and Mickey's really kind of the the driver of the bus of the women's division, especially on the face side. So uh, I, I should say Mickey is, but also Melina's been right there with her. Um, so it was cool to see Melina get the shine while Mickey's kind of been the, the top face side. So I thought it was delivered. I thought it was really good um, and really connected. So good on them to give them the time and to deliver. John Cena's with the doctor. is chatting it up. Mickey James comes in to check on him. They flirt it up. Cena asks to use the officers for private time. Mickey says maybe they could practice some submission moves tonight as the toilet flushes. And out comes Mike Adamley waving his hand. Cena says, aren't you on the pay-per-view? And Adamley says they're a nice-looking couple and says they should hang out later tonight. Him and his gladiator buddy Gemini are going down to Tijuana after the show. Adamley calls Mickey and Cena lovebirds, and he gives Cena a bottle of JBL's new Mama Joanna. Cena and Mickey name moves they want to try on each other. Uh, I thought this was awesome. I thought I love Adam Lee as kind of the aloof uh, announcer. Doesn't really know what the hell's going on. When he walks out of the bathroom, Cena's like, aren't you on the pay-per-view right now? Um, and he just ignores it and talks about hanging out with Gemini. Just 
a guy who like gets it, who's kind of leaning into the goofiness of what he is. Um, this this really made me laugh. I thought I thought Adam was great here, Steve. What'd you think? Yeah, I didn't really care for him until this time, and then I'm like, oh, this guy can laugh at himself. He's, he's really funny, and that was really good. And he showed like anytime someone can laugh at themselves, it totally mm-hmm. disarms you of them. You know what I mean? I didn't know a ton about him before this. Uh, very sadly, I looked up his looked up his story, and he's suffering yeah. from dementia because of CTE, which is terrible. God bless him. He was a Big Ten football player. He played for Northwestern, I think it was. Yep. Fullback. I think he's the Big Ten MVP one year too. I looked this up earlier, and you know, I think he was about to say fifth round pick by the Chiefs, something like that. So, man, a sad story. But man, I love when someone can just have fun and laugh at themselves. And like you said, you just kind of played the role perfect. And I always pop for Cena. And uh, I thought this was great. Like I said, I loved all the back, all the backstage stuff that I felt like in the show really hit. W. Scott, did you like the ad only stuff? It was pretty funny. I, I he's not as dumb as people think he thought he was. I think he kind of he kind of got it that you know he's new to this gig and you might as well embrace it and maybe he'll get liked. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe he kind of was at the moment, mm-hmm. but we that would end for that would end down the line. But uh, yeah, no, I thought it was funny. I thought it's like you know, like, what are you doing? Are you supposed to be out there? And it's really, it was really funny. I enjoyed it. It was a good little a good little scare for levity. All right, uh, Michael Cole and McFully reveal the poll results. 59% of fans want Shawn Michaels. We then get a video package for this next match, which is the stretcher match. We've seen Shawn Michaels and Batista. Scott, what's been the latest between these two? Well, this has been very detailed, of course, going back to Mania. On the 519 Raw, uh, Batista and Chris Jericho had a backstage confrontation regarding their match later in the night where the winner would face Michaels at the pay-per-view and Batista would defeat Jericho as it was also announced that the match would be a stretcher match with Michaels coming out at the end of the match and locking eyes with Batista. The following week on the 526 Raw, Jericho went to Vince McMahon and demanded a rematch with Michaels, which Vince agreed to, and the match ended in a double countout when Jericho refused to release the walls of Jericho on the floor after the match. Jericho grabbed a chair and teased, hitting Michaels with it, only to help Michaels to his feet and walked away. And on the 5.30 SmackDown, Batista cut a promo saying that he would hurt Michaels at the pay-per-view and challenged the winner of the, of the Undertaker Edge match when Vicky Guerrero came out and reminded Batista that he would make SmackDown look bad if he lost to Michaels. Batista told her off, which led to her making a match with him and a partner of his choice facing Hawkins and Ryder later in the night. Batista would choose The Big Show and uh, as his partner, and they easily defeated Hawkins and Ryder. There we go. A little porky big there for me for a minute. Batista. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> <the> ring we go. <laughs> Intense view here. So many layers to it. Uh, really well done so far as Batista has been clear and direct with his thoughts all throughout. He's been honest. Like, he's just not happy with the way Shawn Michaels has handled this whole thing with Ric Flair, and he's going to get him. Uh, Michaels is going to pay for violating that. Uh, Shawn heads out to a really big pop. Colin Foley, I thought, did a nice job explaining the story behind all this. Batista is shredded here, locked in with focus and anger. Uh, he is coming to kill, and that is obvious. <laughs> like He just is not, not a happy man when he comes to the ring. Sean flies at Batista, gets flung to the mat, clothesline hard to the floor. Batista starts using the stretcher as a weapon. And Foley says a normal match, Batista's anger may work against him. But you know what? It would help him in this situation. Uh, Sean tries to come back using the stretcher. Uh, he puts Batista on it. Batista fights free and loads up Batista bomb. as Sean gets out of it. We kind of get Sean uh, in a nice spot here. goes to a guillotine. He pulls Batista onto the stretcher. He keeps choking. Uh, and he eventually releases, but Batista gets off the stretcher. Uh, we get a couple shots of the post. Foley reminds us of Sean's history of back issues, so that was a cool little call-out from Mick. 
Uh, just a lot of Batista offense from there. Sean does come back with a big elbow, but he hurts his back. And Foley, again, talks up Sean's history against big guys. Batista casually just levels Sean with a clothesline as he tries to switch him music as the crowd is completely turning on Michaels here. Uh, Batista loads up the Batista bomb, wants to throw him to the floor, but Sean breaks free and hits a super kick. And a nice spot, Batista falls to the ropes and right out to the stretcher. Sean drags the stretcher, but Batista grabs the apron to block it. Just such great attention to detail here, just all the little things. Instead of just getting up, right, he just hooks the apron. Sean slaps his hand off the apron and pulls again, but Batista just falls to the floor. Sean then pins Batista the ring against the stretcher, but Batista slaps it into Sean's face. Uh, Sean crawls in the ring. He's all messed up here. Walks right into a spear, and Batista hits the Batista bomb. He puts Sean on the, on the stretcher, but out comes Chris Jericho, and he gives Sean a big pep talk. He's like, you know, you're better than Batista. You have having the guys to keep going as Batista just watches him do it. So the rest pull Jericho away. He just, uh, I should say, has the guts to keep going. Batista shoves Michaels back in the ring. He decides he's not done yet. Sean pulls himself up in his switch of music, but it's so weak. Batista just no-sells it and he falls. Sean just falls down. Batista pulls Sean's up and says, I don't love you. I'm not sorry. It's another Batista bomb. Just great stuff. He pushes a stretcher to the finish line, but out comes Jericho again and stops him. He wants to give Sean another pep talk to keep fighting. Batista just watches as Jericho knocks Sean off the stretcher. Batista pulls the steps over and spine busters Sean on the steps. Foley says this is overkill. Batista puts Sean on the stretcher and finally wins the match. And fellas, I thought this was amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. In the ring, top level pathos stuff. Sean is getting destroyed, just like Batista promised. He delivers, but the Jericho stuff was good too. The nuance is still so in play in this feud. Uh, you know, is he really doing it because he wants Sean to fight back? But no, he's obviously fucking with him, trying to bait Sean into getting his ass beaten even more by Batista while also showing him up a bit. Uh, all the moving pieces throughout this were so good. The callbacks to the prior matches. Batista looks amazing, too. Just really destroyed Sean all through this. Uh, and this is the, this is good for Batista, right? Scott, we've talked about these endless friggin' title matches he keeps getting. This has been a cool twist to get him out of those for a while. And a lot to dig into with all three guys. So I went four stars, Steve. I thought this was an awesome match. I think Batista looked amazing here. Sean just gave it his all. Just got you know, rattled all throughout the match. And then Jericho was on point as well. Yeah, I really enjoyed this, too. I thought it was fun. Um, nice to see Shawn Michaels, kind of someone from my era a little bit. So shout out to Shawn for being there still. Uh, I, look, at, it was as close to a squash match uh, as mm-hmm. you can see. You know, like it really was booked really well where Batista just beat his ass. Jericho came out of nowhere and was great when he came out. Uh, I kind of really liked the trolling. It just kind of made me laugh a little bit. And Batista... You know, with the I, I don't love you stuff, kind of a callback was cool there. I didn't totally enjoy Mick Foley, but I thought he was really good here in this match. You know, like mm-hmm. you said, bringing up things like the back injury and this just match felt like it just had a lot of nuance and a lot of um, attention to detail. Um, you know, I don't know who was working this night, who was booking these, but I thought they did a really good job here. I do kind of wish it, like, I don't know about the stretcher stuff, like, they pro- for the way they booked it, they maybe could have picked a better stipulation. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe this is fine. Uh, just in general, I was a little bit frustrated. Like I said a couple times already that there wasn't just even one match that was like one, two, three, or disqualification or submission kind right. of a thing. But but this was really good. And Batista guy, I haven't seen a ton of his matches, mostly just on big cards. You know, where I'd go to a friend's house and watch WrestleMania or SummerSlam or whatever. But, man, he delivered, Sean delivered, did a great job just getting his ass kicked, really. Um, and I like the week um, where he tried to do the, the sweet music, Justin, I think you mentioned it, and it was just really weak, and 
it got no sold and he just pushed him over. I thought that was a really good spot too, where like the heart was there, you know, and he wanted to do it, but he just right. didn't have it. He just didn't have anything in him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really good. I gave it four two. Good match. Best best match on the card, I thought. Uh I don't think there's any doubt this match is gonna be great. Uh, I gave it, uh, like AR, I gave it, like you guys, I gave it four stars, uh, and they got a ton of time, uh, 16.55, so five seconds shy of 17 minutes, and they just went all out, they busted their asses, it needed to be booked this way, Sean is just the master psychologist when it comes to selling for somebody, just like Flair did in his prime, uh, I was very, very pleased that Batista won this match, I think he needed to after losing a backlash, Get himself primed up again. Um, he gets it, uh, Sean, and Batista's getting it too. And it was just, it was just very well done. The Jericho stuff. You have a bunch of guys in there who understand psychology, who understand how to tell a story in the ring um, and outside the ring. Uh, just really, really well done. I was very pleased, and uh, just a fantastic match. I was really, I really enjoyed it, and. Um, and I'm not really normally a stretcher match fan. I don't like the gimmick. I never did. Um, Foley gets very uh, catchphrasey here. I agree with Steve. Um, hard to listen to, but at, at times. But obviously trying to put over like the violence because that's what his forte was. But overall, I thought the match was really good. Uh, you know, at this point, it could be Sean's best match of the year. And I think it's easily Batista's best match of the year. Mm-hmm. And could be Batista's best match in a while. Maybe going back to, well, I don't say a while, maybe back to the back end of the feud with Taker. So right. he's on fire, Batista, right now uh, in terms of in-ring. He's already over with the crowd, but his, his in-ring worked over the last, you know, pretty much three years. It's just gotten better and better.
All right, we get a video package for our next match, which is Triple H defending the World Heavyweight Title, or sorry, the WWE Championship against Randy Orton in a Last Man Standing match. Scott, why don't you give us the pleasure of telling us uh, what's happened since their last encounter? Yes, a pleasure indeed. Uh, on the 519 Raw, William Regal announced that JBL and Randy Orton, as I mentioned earlier, uh, would face Cena Triple H in a tag match where if Orton and JBL won, they would choose the Stips. For their rematches, whereas if uh, Cena and Triple H won, they just face each other in an Extreme Rules match. As mentioned, JBL and Orton won. JBL picked the first blood for his match. Orton picked last man standing for his match. The following week on the 526 Raw, Todd Grisham hosted a face-to-face between Triple H and Orton. As Triple H said that Orton bragged about his victories to try and convince himself he was as good as he said he was. And Orton said that he had surpassed Triple H. And that Triple H said that it would be like the age of Orton never existed after he won the match. Uh, something would happen during the match, a legitimate injury, and I'll let JR get into that during his, his comments, but, uh, a legitimate injury occurs during this match, JR. It does. Uh, and this feud has rolled on here. Another last man standing match for these guys. who saw one back at no mercy with them. Uh, Hunter, of course, ended Orton's reign of terror, put him down in the cage. <clears throat> Orton's desperate to get back on top. And, uh, you know, JR recaps the age of Orton, how far he's come over the last year, which is true. He's, he's been one of our favorites, Scott, through all this. So Yes, absolutely. Um, Orton gets this thing started, started by knocking Hunter outside. Hunter comes back in. He's kicking. He's slugging. Orton dodges a pedigree. Hunter's blocking an RKO. Um, nice spot where Orton grabs Hunter and hits the hanging DDT off the table to the floor. They look like they get hurt. But Hunter survives that count. Tries an RKO, but Hunter shoves him to the post. Uh, Orton chokes him with a cable at one point, sets up another RKO, but again, Hunter blocks. So they're really countering the big moves here. Uh, nasty spot where he goes for an RKO, but Hunter throws him off, and Orton flies over the top and splats on the floor on his back. <clears throat> and he is clearly in pain. Uh, King says right away, Orton looks like he broke his collarbone. And he he stays down. Hunter comes out to break the count at nine, which JR questions that strategy. Uh, Hunter throws Orton to the railing. Orton tries to get to his feet, but King just is pleading for him to stay down at this point. Hunter punches Orton. He collapses. He grabs a, sled, grabs a sledgehammer, hits Orton in the head, and now he's done. As Hunter wins, we go home early, uh, but still get a clear finish in, at least. Uh, Orton gets swarmed by doctors. Jarrah says they're confident he broke his collarbone. Another good match for the two of them, but we'll just never know what the finish would have been, how it could have crested, uh, as it does get short due to the nasty injury. I thought there was some good stuff in here. The crowd was into it. It was hard-hitting. I just got clipped or in going down to injury ending his hot run is, is rough. Like he was red hot during this locked in and it looks like now he's going to miss a decent amount of time. I guess maybe he could use a break to ease back out of the title picture and, you know, to, instead of transition something else, but it definitely seemed like maybe they were setting up something for him and Batista potentially out of the draft. Um, and again, we'll, we just won't know. So Hunter's still champion. We'll have a new issue ahead, obviously, because Orton's clearly going to be done, Scott. But I went three and a quarter. Like, actually, he was into this until the injury. Uh, and it was a nasty bump. So I wanted to give a little props to Orton for, t- for dealing with that because it did not look good at all. It was scary. Uh, it's one that's always stood out to me after seeing it live. Uh, yes. Um, if anybody knows what it's like to land funny and break your collarbone, uh, you're talking to him. Uh, it didn't, I didn't, land, I didn't hit land that bad, but let's just say force is strong and referee rich. Um, your match time 13, 16. So I'm guessing probably knowing triple H, probably another 10 minutes. <laughs> Who knows? Um, not a bad match. I think we can all say that 
yes, there's times, you know, I'm sure, you know, matchups get, get tiresome after a while. I think we've been feeling that way with Batista and, and Taker, even by the end. Uh, definitely Batista and Edge, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I can't get sick of watching Triple H and Orton, though. I feel like they they really have it down. They kind of wrestle the same. Um, they know each other's moves well. It's just this was an unfortunate accident. It looked like it looked like what was supposed to happen was Triple H picked Orton up and kind of threw him over the top rope, but Orton, I think, was supposed to turn around, like his body around to maybe land on the on the apron with his feet. But I think Triple H was they were too close. So Orton didn't have time to turn his body around. He just kind of like surfboarded over the top rope and smacked. That's what I think. I might be wrong, but it seems like that's what they were supposed to do is that Orton was probably supposed to turn around in midair over the rope so he could land on his feet. I guess. And, and hold the rope. I'm trying to think of what he was supposed to do. And it might have uh, just been that. I just didn't realize how bad it was going to be. I don't know. I don't um, know either. It's pretty, it's pretty spot, ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Because it looked like Orton was legitimately freaking out that he was free falling when he got over the top rope. So that's why I'm thinking that that wasn't the way he was supposed to land. He was, he was supposed to control his landing or he was supposed to turn around in midair when he hit when he grabbed the top rope and kind of landed on his feet. And that didn't happen. They, I think it was both of them were too close. And Orton, I think Triple H might have probably thrown him a little lighter. I don't think he realized he was that close to the rope. But in any event, it's, just, it's unfortunate. Uh, Orton was on fire. Um, we'll see that they don't shut him down. Mm-hmm. Altogether, he does show up on camera, and we'll get more into that on the next show. Uh, I gave it, I actually gave it a three. I gave it a notch below you, JR, and it's not often that I grade a Triple H match lower than you do, but uh, this was not their best effort, but it was still a good match, Steve. Uh, I agree with JR. I'm not sure what the ending was supposed to be. I'm pretty sure Triple H was probably supposed to keep oh, it. Oh, yeah. He was definitely going to um, win. Yeah. So, regardless, it's a shame about Orton. Uh, it just seemed like it was mistiming and a, you know, misdistance, but. Um, bad ending aside, still a solid match, but you could definitely tell that the fatigue was setting in with these two against each other. Yeah. Um, first off, as someone who edits audio and finds it tedious, I want to give props to whoever took the time to edit that never ending, uh, shot at Scott together just for the joke. I can appreciate that. Um, <laughs> I didn't grade this. I just gave it an INC and complete. It'd be like grading the. Mr. Perfect Red Rooster match. I mean, the guy got hurt and they didn't get to do what they were trying to do. So I, you want to give it a three or whatever, that's fine. But I mean, it, it's not it's not the picture they intended to paint because right. unfortunately Orton got hurt. And, you know, Orton is, is one of the guys I like the most from the last 20 years. Um, one of my complaints is that professional wrestlers don't look like professional wrestlers anymore, but Randy Orton certainly does, right? I mean, he's like the picture of what a professional wrestler uh, should look like he he's really good too. And I really enjoy him and it, I like triple H too. I don't have anything against him either. So I would have liked to have seen what they were going to do here. Um, another thing I noticed, and I was thinking about this during this match was just, you get an appreciation for how good of a team JR and King were in a show like this, where there's two other teams and, I'm not even going to shit on the other two teams, but it's just like, man, those guys were were awesome. Um, we were lucky to have lived in the era of those two together as they were really great together. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I didn't really grade it. If you want to say three, that's fine. You can put me down for that. 
that's fair, but I would have liked to seen uh, the whole picture that they intended to paint because they had a good one going before. Uh, Orton, unfortunately, got hurt. All right, Orton finally gets up and he walks off. He looks pissed. I mean, he, he knows, like, he's had this great run and it's now come to an end. Uh, he's holding yeah, his arm up as we see a replay of the injury and that fall. And Orton kind of barks at the fans like a true heel on the way out. Uh, we get a video package for our main event, which is The Undertaker taking on Edge for the World Heavyweight title in a TLC match. And uh, there's another stipulation here. Scott, you want to tell us what we got to that point? Uh, I shall find, sir. The winner would become the new World Heavyweight Champion. But if Taker lost, he'd be forced to leave the company. Yes. Oh, no. On the 523, yeah, the 523 SmackDown, Vicky Guerrero came out and defended her decision at Judgment Day and announced that Taker and Edge would face off at the pay-per-view in a TLC match for the Bacon title. And she also declared that if Taker lost, he would be forced to leave WWE. Later that night, Chavo Guerrero apologized to Vicky and Edge for not being there. And Vicky put him in a match with Taker and Taker would beat the shit out of him pretty much and win the match. On the 530 SmackDown, we saw various highlights from Taker's career, including throwing Mick off the cage at the 98 King of the Ring, beating, uh, winning his Lone Rumble in 2007, winning the title from Batista later that year at WrestleMania 23, and then Edge cashing in on Taker later that year in May of 07. Uh, at the end of the night, Edge hosted the Cutting Edge as he showed a video highlighting his success in TLC matches, and La Familia would then bring a casket down to the ring as Edge mocked Taker. Taker would appear and brawled with La Familia until Edge hit him repeatedly with a chair and put him in the casket, and he would climb the ladder and vow to end Taker's career when the lights went out, when they came back on, Taker was right on the other side of the ladder with Edge. Pretty cool effect there. Knocked him off as Edge ran off and Taker put Ryder through a table with the last ride. And as of right now, I believe, this would be The Undertaker's first and as far as I think, only TLC match in his career. Probably. I don't. I can't think of one off the top of my head after this, so... Well, he had to leave the company after this, so that was it, right? <gasps> that, that is done. That, that is possible, yes. This could be the only one, yes. <laughs> yeah, so big stakes, that vacated title's on the line, Taker's career on the line, uh, Edge's La Familia stacking the deck, Foley and Cole talking about it being a rare time where Taker may be the underdog due to the odds and the stipulation. Cole talks about Foley creating the TLC match. Which I don't know, was that accurate? Did he come? I guess he did as commissioner. That's right. Uh, Taker has his usual ominous entrance. Cole talks about no one's ever been stripped of the world title before this fiasco. Taker comes right at edge with his power strikes. He's controlling the early part of the match. Stacks some tables at ringside. But Taker bashes him with the ladder. Then he finishes the table stacking. Edge knocks him down. They fight from there. Taker ends up kicking the ladder into Edge's face. Taker comes back and beats on him with a chair. Uh, he goes to the apron leg drop, and Edge holds up the chair, and Taker lands hard on it. That was kind of nasty. Foley talks up Edge's instincts around the ring, how he uses all the aspects of it. Smashes Taker's leg with the chair. It's a methodical uh, offense from there with a blatant low blow and beyond. Uh, Edge tries to get up the ladder, but he can't make it in time for a Taker block, so he hits a spear. Uh, Taker starts to eventually climb, but Hawkins and Ryder are out. They attack. They help Edge get back in the ring, and they stack up some tables, but Taker... Uh, fights off and chokes Sam's Hawkins off the top through a table on the floor and then throws Ryder through the uh, table on the floor as well. So that weaves them out. Edge spears Taker off the apron to the floor, climbs a ladder, but Taker returns and saves. Taker climbs, but Bam, Neely, and Chavo come out and attack, and Taker fights them off of the chair. 
Taker starts to climb again, but Edge pushes the ladder and Taker flies through the giant table stack on the floor. Kind of pays off what they set up earlier. Edge slowly climbs, wins the match, wins the title, and retires on a Taker as the crowd goes into shock. Edge celebrates with La Familia in the aisle. That was kind of a cool visual. Taker eventually gets up, and we get a long farewell walk with him and the crowd chanting his name. Uh, I thought this was kind of in the bucket with their other stuff. There's good pieces. It heats up late, but they struggle to really find the thread before the hot ending. Uh, had a lot of chair shots and strikes, some other stuff mixed in. The crowd wasn't super into it. I thought Taker was good as always. Edge just feels like he's not a good match for Taker. Like, he he feels like in this story, he should be the gritty underdog based on his size, but he's the heel, so he can't be. And they try to even the odds out by stacking the deck to make him feel like a threat. When chaos breaks mm-hmm. out, the stable arrives when Edge is at his best. Like, that's always when he works best is when it's all this chaotic shit, which is why, again, like all the other matches this year, it gets hot toward the end. Uh, the surprise finish was good too. Taker has to leave. We'll see how that plays out. Edge gets his goal back, manipulating SmackDown. Steve went three and a half. I, I, I feel like their whole series has been kind of uh, underwhelming, and historically, I feel like it it was held up in better regard than it's really showed up to be. So I've pretty much been three and a quarter to three and a half for all their stuff, and this is right in line with that. Yeah, I mean, this is the only one that I've seen of it, but I was a little underwhelmed myself, just given the talent in the ring. Um, I believe I was at Edge's debut, if I'm not mistaken, in Hamilton um, at the uh, pay-per-view um, back breakdown. in 90. Yeah, Breakdown. Um, if that's when he debuted. It was either him or Christian or both debuted, I think, that night. Or who was the other guy that sucked blood with them? Fresh my memory. Uh, Gangrel? They were, Gangrel, yeah. They all yeah, the Brood. That night. The Brood. Yeah, the Brood. Right, 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 right. Thank you. Yeah, because Christian won the uh, light heavyweight belt at the next pay-per-view. Yeah, uh, so I was in Hamilton, which is close to us in Buffalo here. I'll be seeing Pearl Jam there. And, of course, the famous home to the uh, 1987 Canada Cup, Gretzky uh, scoring the – the uh, making the pass to Lemieux for the winner. Uh, well, I was just underwhelmed a little bit based on the talent and what I expect from guys like Undertaker and Edge, two Hall of Famers, right, in the ring. Um, again, I just didn't need a, the stipulation here. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, you guys have seen other stuff. I just feel like these guys would have worked better. Uh, you know, Edge when he's with Christian and facing the, you know, those, the Hardys or whatever, that's when tables, ladders, and chairs can shine. I think Edge is just maybe above that and could have done more and, and better with Taker here and just like some kind of brawl, regular match with pinning and all that. But it's a really sad day given that The Undertaker obviously losing and he's gone from the company and never to be seen again. I just wonder what could have been with him if he would have been able to, uh, to stick in and be there long-term because he was a great wrestler for a number of years at this point. So I'm sorry he had to walk away, but I'll give it two and a half stars. Um, I gave it a three. I liked it actually. I give it a, I gave it three and three quarters. I, uh, even though this was definitely the end of the line for them and they got a lot of time here, 23, 26 Meltzer gave it three and a half. So I was about online with you, Jr. And, and I went a little higher. Um, I've always said that Edge was Edge is the kind of guy that does kind of blend in with whoever he wrestles. But yes, the controlled chaos with a faction is where he's at his best. And because this is how you got this is how he's had to battle Taker. He's had to, you know, constantly be against the odds. He's just, you know, you look at Taker, you look at Edge, you wonder, you know, who would win a fight, obviously. So, you know, Edge has to use the play the percentages, obviously. 
And he does that. And this time, finally, it worked to his advantage. He had Bam, Bam Neely. That's ridiculous. He might as well just wear a WWE shirt with an eight on the back. And it's so fucking stupid. Um, you know, just play the percentages. And he finally did that. It finally worked to his advantage. The crowd definitely was like, whoa, wait a minute. So maybe they thought Taker was... I don't, know if, I don't know if they thought he actually was retiring because, I mean, one of the greatest of all time, he's not going to just end his career on some rando, you know, secondary show. No, that but was it. He had to leave the company. That was it. He had to leave. He was done. Yeah. Kayfabe, yeah. baby. Living it. But, uh, yeah, I, I like the match. But uh, like I said earlier about, you know, like about Triple H Orton, uh, you know, fatigue does set in. And this is what, like the seventh taker edge match in the last, like, six months or something. So, you know, it's okay to have some... some uh, uh, some um, fatigue when you've wrestled that many, that guy, a certain guy for that long. The only time I just never felt fatigue with two guys was Taker Batista in 07. I just think every match felt different. Um, it doesn't do, it doesn't feel that way here, but it was a great match. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the storytelling. Um, Edge is at his best when he's got guys helping him out and, it, and it, it worked here. So it was a stunning ending to the show. I like the quietness as he's walking off and he puts the fist up and all that. So, it was a great ending to the show. It had kind of a dour feel, but I think that's what it was meant to do. And uh, we'll see what happens from here. But uh, maybe Taker was taking a vacay. Uh, there, I don't remember there being any rumors he was hurt. I think it was just to give him a little spell. I feel like they just did it. And I think maybe they just did it to swerve. I mean, honestly, put over La Familia. It seemed obvious. and Probably. Yeah. He's not gone for that long. So I, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's like an extended vacation or anything. I think no. it's just to be different. Yeah. But I liked the match. I liked it a lot. And I thought the, the swerve ending was cool at the end. And crowd definitely uh, felt uh, that they were in a moment that they never thought they'd see. So it worked out. It was well told and well executed. All right. Let's get to our awards to wrap things up here tonight. Uh, I had my MVP as Batista. Yes. I'm going John Cena. He's fucking awesome. All okay. Right. All right. Uh, LVP. I, I didn't think anyone actually was that bad tonight. I just gave it to Javo, uh, as usual for me. But I thought he kind of stunk in that that match. But otherwise, not that everyone else was pretty useless. Fuck. The useless fuck. Uh, I'm gonna go with I forgot her name, but whoever Beth Phoenix beat up. Melina. Yep. All right. All right, best match uh, pretty easily for me was Batista versus Sean. Yeah. No doubt. My highest rate match. Yeah, it was oh, my yeah. highest rate. No, no doubt. Okay. Worst match, I went with the Singapore Kane, but even that was three stars. So everything was, I mean, nothing popped behind, you know, past four, but I had every match we've seen three and four stars on this card. Uh, oh, sorry, Scott. Yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm just, I'm going to put Melina and Beth because that was my lowest grade. And I even had that at three and a quarter. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, actually, believe it or not, I can't, believe, I can't believe it's about to happen. Well, I had three matches at three. So, shit. Uh, hmm. You know what? I'm going to go, I, I, I hate to do this and I know Steve loves the guy, but I actually have to go with Cena JBL. The match felt very, very dry and dull for me. And even for three stars, um, it was still good enough to be that good, but comparing it to the other three-star matches on this night, I just wasn't, it wasn't much for me. Uh, worst match for me by far with Beth Phoenix and Matilda or whatever. That was definitely worse. <laughs> Did you just say Matilda? I forgot her like, name, whatever. Like the cartoon? Like <laughs> yeah, the Roll Dahl book, Matilda. I, I believe that's who she fought. Very All smart. Right. Loves to read books. 
really good. All right. Shooting. Best moment. I went with uh, Batista when he's staring at Jericho as Jericho's giving the pep talk. I thought it was awesome. When he's just like, get the fuck out of my face. Anybody's just like watching it happen. He looks so annoyed and exhausted. And he just wants to end the match. I, would go uh, I with, agree. You agree. I, I'm close to you guys. I'm going to go with uh, when he says, I don't love you and I don't care or whatever there. I, 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 I thought that was great. So, but I'm fine with going okay. with you guys too. There's a number of spots in that match that I thought could have been. They're awesome. all so good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Surprise of the night. I, again, I, I don't know. For me, it was pretty obvious. It was Undertaker losing and having to leave. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the end of a Hall of Fame career too soon. Um, sad to see him go. Uh, it's definitely a shock. I wonder how far his undefeated run in Mania could have went. He wasn't I know, right? Never know. On this night. Yeah, we'll never know. 30 and 0, yes. maybe, you know? Maybe. It's, uh, you know, it's just, it's really sad. It's it's too bad, but that would be for me too, a shock. Uh, I bet at some point he'd have wrestled in an actual graveyard. You know? Yeah, in maybe. Mania. Or had a big match against like someone like Brock Lesnar or something like that. You know, just something could have popped he, off. He's but. not coming back. He's not coming. Guess. He's not coming back. He'll never come back. He hates, he hates his company. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> uh, all right, final grade. I like the show quite a bit. Um, again, I think we're missing that, like, all-time match to really push it ahead. But everything to me hit. It was all between three and four stars. The show cruised along. We had some big moments. Uh, the Batista-Shaw match was awesome. So I went seven out of ten. Again, like, it's just every show for us, Scott, since... At least in Survivor Series, it's been like seven and a half, six and a half, eight, seven and a half, seven and a mm-hmm. half, six, six and a half, seven, like all right in that range. And this was like right, a, you know, right around that seven spot for me. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, uh, there wasn't much that was bad here. Um, I think this match was a little better. I think the show might have been a little better than Judgment Day, but it had some kind of tiresome rematches. But uh yeah, I'm going to give it a seven. I think it was solid enough to be a seven to seven show. It's one I think that everyone should watch again. It's it's entertaining, but you know it's got some it's got some dry spots. But for the most part, all the in ring work kicked in, so I was good. Okay, seven. You said. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Steve. This show absolutely was above my expectations. Um, I thought that they did a good job. None of the, not really any of the matches. Maybe one or two. We're out there welcome. We're a little too long. Like I said earlier, I really liked the backstage stuff. I thought a lot of it was really fun. The Cena thing was great. Um, Vince made an appearance, which was cool. Um, I was thinking about this earlier, and I think it's kind of like if anyone watches Dave Portnoy do pizza reviews, right? It's like if you re- if he reviews a Neapolitan, he says up front, like, that's just not my style of pizza. And I started at a certain level. And I think that's what a show like this is for me, that... This isn't just that's this just isn't my era. It's not necessarily my style, but if I start like at a six or so for the average show from this era, this is much better than that. So, you know, I'm with you guys. I'll give it a seven. I, I thought it was, I thought the wrestlers, and I always love wrestlers and appreciate what they do and the hard work they put in and how hard of a job it is. Uh, I thought they all worked really hard and, and put in it a really good night's night's work, and the matches were good and. Yeah, I'm all for this show. Thanks for for making me watch it because I enjoyed it. So I'll give it a seven right with you guys. 
And, and that's right, pretty well. high, probably, for what I'm normally give a show from this era. Well, I'm glad we found one you enjoyed. It was a good one. Um, yeah. A lot a lot of stuff going on. And it is, it's an underrated star power year, right? So you still had a ton of stars there at this point. Cena, right. Batista, Undertaker, Edge, Sean. You know, there's like a lot of big names still out there. So. Yeah, there was guys to watch. And, and nothing delivered anyone. You know, there wasn't like a stinker, really. I didn't feel like. No, no, none. None. Uh, all right, so that'll do it, Scott. We'll be back in two weeks' time with Night of Champions 2008. We have a debuting guest, which is exciting. Um, so that'll be cool. Yes. Uh, Steve, good to have you back as always. Want to yeah. thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, probably right around the new year, you'll be back with us. So. Yeah, right around Christmas and New Year's. Uh, there's going to be a show that I was at randomly, so I'll jump in on that. Uh, shout out to my girl Paula. Rest in peace again to Ruby at sports underscore casters uh, for anything that I'm doing. And, and thanks to Scott and Justin for um, 608 episodes of the gold standard and uh, for having me be a part of it. Well, happy to have you back in good health and yeah, uh, with Steve. us again. So. All right, everyone. Talk to you in two weeks. Take care.